Hi, I'm Dougie Cameron, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold, your East Fife and Scottish football podcast. I'm Lee Gillis. And I'm Michael McCall. We're back. Um, we hope you didn't miss us too much. Um, we were a little bit unfortunate um, last week that we managed to line up a couple of people and then they couldn't make it. Um, we are going to open up um, on the show um, at some point today about who we tried to get on and, and to hear, hear your thoughts on what you would have wanted us to have asked. Um, but in fact, I'll, I'll come out and I'll tell you just now. Yeah. Last last week, um, we were meant to have Lee Murray on the show, and we kept it kind of un, under wraps because we weren't sure one or two things. One, if the interview would go ahead, and you know, Lee initially said that he would come on, and then changed his mind that he, he didn't want to to bring all that back up again, which you know we totally understand. But from our point of view, um, we really wanted to to bring Lee on to to talk about what his vision was for the club. Um, and, and ask him some of the questions that we probably felt that we, we wanted answers to. Um, so we put the questions to Lee. Initially, he said that he would do it, and then he changed his mind at the last minute. And then it was just, it was, it was I'm not going to say last minute, it was the morning of the interview, I think. Um, so I think that it was a little bit difficult um, to, to get somebody in at short notice. So that's who we had lined up. Um, it's not going to go ahead in any of our future shows. But yeah, let us know what your thoughts on that would have been and, and what questions that you'd have liked us to ask. From a from a personal point of view, look, we didn't do the a great job at the club and he made a lot of mistakes and he would probably be the first person to admit that. But in any of the ones I've had with him, he's a great guy. He's a, he's a one-to-one. I've, I've had a few chats with him and I've, I've not got a bad word to say um, about him personally. Um, so I, I could totally appreciate why there'll be a lot of people that don't think the same as me. Um, but... At the end of the day, sometimes you've got to to put feelings of the club aside and realise that these people are humans. And I know that Lee's battled a bit with his mental health and stuff, so I, I, I wouldn't want to, to put anybody through that um, if, if there was going to be a backlash from it. So we totally respect Lee's decision not to, to come onto the show. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean, it was disappointing. I mean, we, we'd put the questions together. They were tough questions because there was tough questions needed asked. I'll be honest, I wasn't really too keen on doing the interview and I was very surprised that he'd agreed to do it initially and I think it maybe was the best decision in the end that he didn't because dragging it all up again probably isn't good for anyone but it it would have been an interesting chat who knows things might change we may do it somewhere down the road in the future but we'll see so apart from that here's a quick word from this week's sponsor and we want to, to thank the Phoenix England office um, for a, a, an amazing donation, which we'll be putting straight towards the clubs to go towards the GPS vests. 
So just a little bit of a blurb. The Phoenix, Glenothis and Lawrence Welsh are proud to support East Fife in these difficult times and would encourage all East Fife fans to help at the club if they can. At the Phoenix, we offer a warm and friendly atmosphere to anyone who comes to visit us. We offer a generous 35ml measure of all premium brands and have a fantastic range of draft beers and ciders, including Magnus Original and the best pint of Guinness in town. Once lockdown's over, head along to their Domino's Night on a Tuesday, their pub quiz on a Sunday, or for your next special occasion, why not book their function suite for just £149, which includes a DJ. They also have an amazing jukebox with over 30,000 songs in it, um, so if you're in the mood for music, you'll find what you want. So thanks to, to the, the Phoenix and Lawrence Welsh once again. And yeah, um, we're still not back, Michael. We're, we're still not any further oh. back in, to knowing when that's likely to be. There's still um, ambiguity around whether it's going to happen, if it's going to be a shortened season, if, if we're going to be playing two to three times a week. Quite personally, I'm just fed up with the whole situation. Um, you know, I, I really want life to, to get back to normal as, as soon as it possibly can. I think that the, the summer... Hopefully the majority of the, the country has been vaccinated by then and we can start seeing things starting to change a little bit. But, yeah, I just, I missed the football on a Saturday desperately. Um, and it's not just that, it's, it's you know, we t- touched on it before, it's the routine of the, you know, getting down, going to the game, seeing people that you haven't seen, particularly I think the first game back will be excellent. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So, yeah, what, what's your thoughts, Michael? You, can you see it being a full season? I can't. I I know. Like we've talked about this before, that an eighteen game season is not ideal. I just feel it has to be an eighteen game season because you cannot be expecting these players to be playing two, maybe three times a week. We're recording this on Thursday, and I read in the Daily Record this morning that the SFA want the Scottish Cup finished this season, and if if they go ahead with that, this could mean clubs like East Fife playing three games a week. This is a part-time club. Now, yes, some guys might not be at work at the moment, but you have to think if football gets up and running, work's probably going to have got up and running at the same time. To expect part-time guys to be going to do their day job and playing three matches in a week, it's it's not fair on them. And if that's going to be the case, I'd rather it was an 18-game season. Yep, whatever happens is going to have an asterisk beside it. It's probably not fair, but I'd rather we do that, finish in some capacity right off this season and start afresh in July and just have some normality back from them. Just treat this this season as a weird one-off season. But look, and I've said this over and over and over, why not just withdraw from the Scottish Cup if that's going to be the case? Because Well, I think you might find clubs might have to if, they, if they're forcing them to do this. Let's do it. Because I would much, I, I, obviously, I don't know if, if the legality is behind it, if we're obliged to play, if there's fines, if we don't do it, whatever. But from a fan's point of view, whether it's black or white, let's just withdraw from it. Because look, we could go in the next game and get scudded by Morton or Dunfermline, right? I would much rather that our sole focus was on the league. Let's make a push for the playoffs um, or stay away from relegation, whichever one it, it tends to be, um, with, with how tight the league is. Let's go for it. But if they shorten the season, like how would that affect like our games in hand? And uh, there's there's two. Well, there's yeah, two we've much- got to fit those in as well. That's yeah, it's it's insanity. So I, I'm really yeah, <laughs> never seen ever in Scottish football. We never know what's going to happen. And the other thing is, as I was, um, I got a text from Tony McMinn yesterday, just checking in on, on how we're doing, and I'd, I'd said to him, you know, how are we going to replace Jack Hamilton? 
as I because we don't know what's you know if the season's going to happen you know we, we really need to make some signings and they was like well it depends when we go back because the window for signing players on loan is the first of March that's when it shuts so that has to get extended but because MLS has just extended their first transfer window now as well yeah. because they're going back later so they've extended theirs by a couple of weeks so it can MLS. be done isn't a Mickey Mouse run organisation, though. I would disagree with that, but that's for another day. Looking in, it looks a little bit better run than Scottish football. Um, so, I mean, n- never write anything off. No. You know, I, d- anything. I don't know. My, my worst fear for the Scottish Cup is they go ahead with it while we're not back playing, but we still have to take part. And then you, you saw that situation in the FA Cup where there was non-league teams that hadn't played for two months and they had to go and play an FA Cup tie. I mean, the players might be super up for it, but they're not going to be fit. That's where there's going to be injuries. And they need to get everything wrapped up, I feel, by May. Whether that means 18 games or 27 games, whether it's playing the Scottish Cup or whatever, so we can start afresh. Because it does look like the UK is on, on course, at least, to get back to some normality July, August. Over here... Like we, We've handled the pandemic way better over here than the UK has, but you guys with the vaccine over there is way better than us. We're less than 3% of our population vaccinated right now because we can't yeah. get enough vaccines in. And it's like you're so far ahead that you're going to get back to normal life in July and August. So that's why I think just write this season off, not as in cancelling it, but just play it as you can. It's an anomaly. I know it could cost some clubs big, big money. Partick Thistle's maybe the big one in that because they're outside the playoffs looking in just now. But start and get it normal in August, maybe with fans in attendance. It certainly won't be full fans but by the sound of it anywhere still for a, for a good few months. Definitely. So, you know, there's some questions that we wanted answered. So thanks as always to Liam Anderson. In two parts, we're going to thank Liam. So first of all, Liam got us today's guest, um, who we're going to introduce shortly. The second of all, Liam's agreed to answer some of the questions that we've got in terms of where we are as a club just now. So here's a quick chat that we had with Liam Anderson. Thanks for joining us today, Liam. Now, obviously, there's still a lot of uncertainty surrounding what's happening with East Fife and the the lower league clubs uh, around Scottish football at the moment. So I just wanted to ask you a couple of things just to to kind of find out how the the lie of the land is for the club financially, particularly just now. I mean, when we spoke to you last time, which I think was back in the autumn, you said the club is, is still coping comfortably with the effects of covid is that still the case all these months later with a, a second lockdown now in force? Yeah, we're uh, as fi- financially comfortable as we can be at this time. Obviously, we've had uh, the government money, the £150,000 that came in, uh, and also we've been very prudent uh, or frugal with the money that we got from James Anderson. We've kept that safe so that we can use it for testing the players if that comes to fruition. It's looking very likely that we're going to have to do that just now and obviously there's going to be costs involved with that. 
so we're we're uh, comfortable uh, with with the costs that are going to be involved, provided of course it doesn't go on for on for too long. I mean, I I guess it, it does beg the question: How does the club survive day to day with no money coming in just now? We manage to survive the same way as as most clubs do. Uh, basically, um, you know, we've got no income other than the the money that we. Uh, mentioned earlier from the the Anderson f- uh, fund and uh, the the government, um, but at the same token, the only expense that we've got going out at the moment is really you know the standing order or the standing charges for the services uh, that we have, uh, and uh, the twenty percent of the the players' wages uh, because uh, the players are furloughed, uh, but we are continuing to pay them. Uh, their full 100% wages, something that we've been able to do throughout both the, the closed downs uh, that we've, or shutdowns that we've had uh, in, in football. Um, so we're, 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 we're okay, but like everybody else, we need to get fans back into the stadium. When that's going to be, your guess is as good as mine. Um, we're, we're, we've done everything that we can to make Bayview a COVID-secure stadium. Um, We're continuing to do that, even though the stadium is shut. It's it's only essential maintenance that's going on there at the moment. But as soon as we can get fans back into the stadium, then then we will. I mean, is there anything the fans can do to, to help the club right now? Any idea of when you have a feeling the fans might get back into grounds? I know... That's a, a kind of tough question to ask, answer with regards to all the current COVID regulations that seem to be changing, the new variants, everything like that. But, I mean, what's the club thinking of just now? Are the club ready to, to welcome fans back whenever the, the OK is given? I think the best way the, the fans can, can help us is by just keeping communicating with, with fellow fans. Keep Beast Fife to the to the forefront of the uh, of the press and and social media because there's there's nothing else that's that's really generating that at the moment. Scott Ingalls is doing a great job with his five mail with his daily uh, or his weekly uh, interviews with with Darren who's passing on whatever information he can. Um, but you know at this stage we're in we're in the lap of the gods or in the lap of the government as to when we get back playing. Um, we're hopeful that we'll hear something uh, on the 1st of March review. But again, uh, you know, we've just no idea. There's nothing nothing coming from the SPFL or from the SFA as far as Leagues 1 and Leagues 2 are concerned. Everything that's happening with Leagues, Leagues 1 and Leagues 2 uh, is being generated by the clubs themselves. Um, so... You know, we we are we are in the in the hands of the, the the powers that be as far as that goes. Whenever the league does restart, obviously the the clubs lost their their top scorer for the season, Jack Hamilton, went back to Livingston, now off to to Arbroath. He's a guy that they they need to replace. They need to find the goals from somewhere. Do you feel the funds are there for the club just now to replace Jack? Obviously, as things stand at the moment, uh, our playing budget is intact. Um, you know, I, I genuinely believe that had we been playing football, Jack Hamilton would have been back playing with us, not uh, not at our growth. 
but I, but Livingston uh, had to get him out playing, and there was no we couldn't guarantee when that was going to happen. Our both are continuing to play, and fair play to them and fair play to Jack. Uh, he's he's continued with them where he left off with us. Uh, the same happened with uh, two or three others that we were interested in bringing, uh, in on loan. Their clubs needed the player out playing there and then, not not in an indefinite uh, start back time. So we missed out on on them, but we will we will be looking at that once we know when we're starting. Then we'll be able to go back and and speak to clubs. And I'm sure Dan and Tony will be working very hard to get a replacement in for Jack. I mean, there are others in the in the squad anyway that can step in. Uh, so we'll just have to see see what happens. But we we're confident going forward. We're confident that uh, we will do well in the remaining games, whether it's twenty seven or eighteen, whatever whatever it is that we're we're uh, told that we'll be playing then we will be playing and uh, you know if it means if it means Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday a couple of weeks of the season then albeit uh, so be it and then that's that's what it will have to be obviously we wouldn't want to impose that on the players or even the backroom staff who have got to get kit and everything ready so that's a that's a big a big uh, undertaking for them to do um, but we'll see we'll see what we're told uh, and then take it on from there. Fantastic. Thanks so much for doing this today, Liam. I'm sure we'll chat again soon. And I'm sure I speak on behalf of all these five fans when I say fingers crossed that when they do this review come March 1st, we're going to get given the go-ahead to get back on the pitch, get these games replayed and just get the, the season restarted. So thanks so much. Take care, stay safe, and we'll talk again soon. So that's that then, Michael. Um, and I think it's time now to, to bring our listeners our feature interview. So for those of you that follow us on social media or have seen the title of this episode, we're delighted to be bringing to you Kevin Fotheringham. Um, Kevin played for us for, for two seasons and had a, an excellent career. Um, played abroad, played for St. Johnson, you know, played for some pretty big clubs. So we were really excited to, to get a chat with him. We're going to address the elephant in the room and we are not going to be talking to Kevin about the the Taddy incident. We made that decision as hosts. Um, You know, we we didn't approach it with Kevin at all. We kind of feel that, look, he's he's paid his dues for it. We don't condone racism in in any way, shape or form. We we don't know what happened on the pitch that day. We weren't there. But we wanted to have a, a chat about his career and we've decided as hosts not, not to cover that. And we hope that um, you as, as our listeners will appreciate that we're not going to chat about that at all. So here he is, the man himself, Mr Kevin Fotheringham. So we're delighted to be joined this weekend by a man who made 68 appearances in all competitions for his five, scoring 10 goals on the way. Across two seasons, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kevin Fotheringham. Yeah, thanks for joining us to, today, Kevin. Pleasure. 
We're going to just take a little journey kind of through your career, pre-East 5, post-East 5, and of course the momentous time that, that you spent at Bayview. I mean, you, you spent two seasons at East 5. There were some ups, there were some downs, there was the, the joy of, of winning a championship. When you look back at that part of your career from a playing side, how do you look back at, at your time at Bayview? No, it was good. Um, I think on a part-time level, the first year, obviously, when the championship was was excellent. The second year's a bit of a... I was trying to think back to the second season, and the, the second season's a bit of a blur to me. I, mm. I've not got a lot of recollection of games or goals or incidents, but I can remember the full first season from start to finish. But in the second season, I, I don't know why it's a blur, maybe because we weren't say, as successful as we were in the first season, but... I enjoy that. Again, when you play with a five club, you get that feeling that it's weird. Fifers are a, a quite a tribal breed, uh, whether you're east or west. We're all similar types of people, and uh, I found playing with a five club it, it definitely has its benefits. Yeah, it's funny you say that about the second season because I had to when I was coming up with the questions last night. I had to look up because I'd no, I could not for the life of you mm-hmm. tell you what we had done that second season. And it's like, oh, we were mid table. It's like a, I, I mean, I'd moved over here by then anyway, but I just can't remember it at all either. It's that's kind of weird. No, I look back trying to look on. So, I think soccer base is the best place to go and try and look for some stats. So yeah. I look back some stats. I'm looking at the games, but I can't remember that game. And then. The games that I played towards the end of the season, it looked like we lost something like seven or eight games in a row. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way we've lost seven or eight games in a row. But we, I think we had a decent start in a decent middle of the season and we tailed off really, really badly towards the end of the season. And when you look at the league table, we were in no danger of getting relegated. But if we'd had a decent end, I think we could have probably still made the playoffs. We were a million miles away. But going by the results, you guys are probably no better than me. I just can't figure out the results towards the end of that season. Yeah, I mean, Lee, you were around then, so what's your yeah. memories of that? My memories pretty much were that. I'm sure that we did go on a, a total bogey run towards the end of the season, but I think that's around the time that we drew Rangers in the cup. Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong. And I don't know if maybe the the circus are playing one of the ugly sisters has maybe been a, a disruptor in that part of the season. But mm-hmm. again, my, my memory in terms of stats is awful. We should actually have Stephen Mill on this chat every week and he could just tell us. Just have him on. <laughs> Like Carol Vorderman or something, just refer to him every time that we're needing a question like that answered. But no, I, I, I remember us being fairly solid, and, and I don't seem to remember us being really, really good or really, really bad. But then, yeah, I think that we were quite disappointed because obviously we went up and we had the Rovers that season. Um, and I'm pretty sure. I can remember the games. I, I, can, I can remember the Raith games vividly, every one of them. But I just can't. I'm looking back games where I've maybe scored or something like that. A result, and it just doesn't. The games that season doesn't ring a bell massively with me, apart from the Ray Rovers games, probably. Yeah, maybe your eyes were covered while Willie Gray's money and you just couldn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was going in other directions, it wasn't going to me, trust me. That was that was the big, uh, we'll probably get on to that later on, but I think our biggest downfall, and it's no slight on the players that came in that season, I don't think Dave gave the guys who got promoted a chance the same squad of players to go and try and get promoted again because at Brecon, we went back to back and all Dick done at Brecon was change one or two players, bring in two, maybe three at the most. But you know what Dave was like and the head while he's backing behind him, it was always a big, massive turnover. I, I, I wrote down the lesson. 
the first season there was six seven of us came in at start of the season four or five mid-season and then he went again and brought in another five or six and I'm talking big big hitters you've got guys like Stevie Crawford came in who done relatively well for us you had Goran Stanich who actually Goran was a top top player and we only seen him for the first five or six games and Goran rejected a one year full time contract that said Johnson to come and sign me side for a two year deal so that tells you the deal that was on offer for him. And he started the season very, very well. And he got injured and through no fault he was on. And then he never played again. I don't think he played again until the last two or three games of the season. And he was injured for the full season. He had Paul Nugent who came in for Stirling Alvin, who was a fabulous right back every time I'd played against him. Excellent player. And it just didn't work out for Paul. And I think that was doing it. I'm sure he lives somewhere like Dumbarton. Now, if you're finishing your run in Dumbarton on a Monday night, you've got to travel two hours to get to East Fife. And then you're not getting home to what, 11, 12 o'clock at night. It can't be easy. It must be very, very difficult. But at every level of football, you have to entice players somehow to come and play at a lower level than they should be playing. And it's usually finance, whether it's junior or semi-pro or top level. You've got to, And Willie and Davey went out and brought in three or four really, really big hitters. And it just didn't... I don't think it really happened for us. I think, looking back, we should have stuck with the guys who got us there and gave yeah. them another year or, or six, seven months to see how they'd done. But that was Dave's prerogative. He thought that was going to improve us. And it just didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a defining season for the club, really, because obviously Willie moved on, we'll, we'll come, come to stuff like that. But it's like, I think if we'd got into the playoffs or even got promotion that season, it could have been a whole different story for the club as well because there'd have been more investment and like, who knows what would have happened. You're saying there would have been more investment there, but with Willie leaving, I don't think there would have been more investment. So you would end up in the championship with a squad of players that you probably couldn't afford. Now, that's mm. you're going to get more income coming in through the bigger gates and whatnot. But bigger gates at Bayview at the time, we were getting 700 fans. You're not going to get any bigger gates than what we were getting when we were winning the league. So you're going to go into that championship. Was there the money to invest if, if Willie had left? Was the club sustainable to, to pay these players? That would be doubtful. So it was probably a blessing in disguise in a way where the club had to reset again. And it probably set them back a little bit, but you can see where they are now and uh, they're stabilising. It's great. Aye, we've had a couple of like peaks and troughs over the years, but we, we seem to be all, all, on solid footing. Now, I, I want to take you way back now. Mm-hmm. And like, like you're a Fife lad. So who did you support when you were growing up? Who was your kind of footballing hero that, that you aspired to be? Growing up, I was a Rangers supporter. Uh, I didn't go to the games very much. I probably went down and watched my local junior team, Hillaby Thornburg, for uh, 50 yards from my house. And that was the games I would go and watch as a young kid. Uh, but I did follow Rangers and looked out for their results. And I started training with Rangers when I was about 12, 13 year old. And I then started going to watch games home and away, probably from the ages of maybe 14, 15 for a couple of seasons. But growing up, Alan McCoy and David Cooper were the the two that I was wanting to emulate, I was a striker, believe it or not, or a wide left midfielder. So these were the two guys that I looked up to as I was growing up. So what's your earliest memories then of playing football? And when did you know that you had what it took to, to make it in the pro game? I, I started playing organised football probably when I was about eight, nine years old with a local team called County District. And in that same team, there was myself, now, I must have been about nine because Lee there is a year younger than me. He was only about eight. Jason there is a year older. He was 10. And we're playing under 12 league. And we're winning everything before us. The three of us played up front. 
I played through the middle, Lee played on the right, Jace played on the left. So uh, we probably won most things locally. And then I stepped up and played uh, the Hillary Swifts. They used to run a team from under 12 right through to 17s. But it was only one team. So when they got from 12 to 17, they were starting back again at under 12s. And I was only about 11 year old, I think, at the time. But it was an opportunity to go and play with them, my local side. And luckily they were... So I played a year. I was 11 year old playing all the 12 year olds for about two, three seasons. And I started probably getting noticed, scoring a lot of goals round about that time, 11, 12 year old. So we spoke there, you came through the youth system uh, at Ibrox. How, how did you get picked up by, by Rangers? Because we've spoken to a lot of players over the last few months in the show and so many of them seem to, to train with a different club every night of the week, it kind of felt like. So when did you know that Rangers were interested in you? And then when did you kind of become exclusive into them? And what was it like as a youth player in that setup, especially during that kind of nine-in-a-row era? Well, you'll like this one because initially, the very first senior club I trained with was East Fife when oh. I was 11, 12-year-old. And this is surreal. If I tell you this story, you'll... It just couldn't happen nowadays. I'm not sure where David Clark lived. He maybe lived in Falkirk. He maybe lived in Dunfermline, but he was through this way somewhere. David Clark used to pick me up in Hillebeath on a training night when I was 11, 12 year old. Then he used to go to Logelli and pick up Paul Hunter. Now, Paul Hunter must have been 18, 19 maybe at the time. I'm not sure. But he was a youngish boy. Then we picked up John Cusick, who played with me at Hillebeath Swiss. We picked up John and Bollingery. And then David drove to Old Bayview. And at that time, you trained on the pitch and you got changed in the direction. Now, there was myself and John Cusick, we were only two, and there was a couple other guys whose names escaped me. They were maybe about 15, 16. And my only recollection of that is you were training on the park at East Fife with the first team. Now, you're 11 and 12-year-old, and you're seeing guys like Gordon Marshall and Stuart Burgess, and they look like absolute giants at the time. Beasts, just big, hairy men. And I'm not, there's no way we could have played training games with them at our age, and I don't think we did, but we definitely participated in things like shooting drills, passing drills, and stuff like that. And that's that was the first place I, I went for training, and I don't know if Dave left the club round about that time and that came to a halt. I've no idea how that stopped, but that was my first experience at senior football, and it was a, it was an eye-opener, to say the least, uh, training with boys of that stature. Yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, you, you just... Yeah, something like that just would not happen... I mean, nowadays. So, I mean, like, at Ibrox then, when, when did they pick you up? And what was it like coming through the system there? It wasn't, it wasn't long after that. I was about 12, 13, and the guy, Paddy Dolan, who went on to be Cowboys manager for a wee spell, Paddy was the Rangers coach, and myself and John and another guy, Craig Smart, who was at Dunfermline for a little spell, we uh, used to travel through the get up to Livingston for a bit of training, uh, and it snowballed from there, and after about six months, I got asked, would you like to go through Ibrox? So then again, my mum, my mum was really young at the time, she had just passed her test, she had a car, she's having a, I'm coming from school, she's taking me through Ibrox, you're actually going into the home dressing room at Ibrox when you're 12, 13 year old, this is where you got changed, you got your kit on, whatnot, over the Albion, training session over the Albion on the red blaze, back in, and this is the way it was for two nights a week, you trained with Rangers two nights a week, and it went on like that for, for a good wee while, signed an S form, at 13, 14. Then we had various coaches and we, we trained at various places. We went away firebox and trained at various locations throughout Glasgow. Uh, 
and I was doing well. As I said, I was a striker, I was a wide left midfielder. That's where they seen me playing. I played centre midfield for the school, but I was always up front or wide left, usually wide left when I was there. Uh, done really well through the S forms. And then when I turned up, I played with Hutchinson Vale for a wee year, uh, under 15. I dropped back a year, I left Hillaby, dropped back a year, played with Hutchinson Vale because Rangers wanted me to play at my own age group. So I dropped back, played with Hutchinson Vale for a year. Then I went through Ibrox. I went full time when I was actually 15, just before my 16th birthday. But for the first season, I played um, with the under 16s on a Saturday afternoon. So I was practically, I was full time at Rangers just as I turned 16, my 16th birthday, and I played a year on a, in the Saturday league with under 16s. You didn't quite get to make the, the breakthrough to, to Rangers then. So, especially as a fan, that must have been daunting to, to not have got a chance to, to play for the first team. When, when, when you look back, that's the biggest. The day I left Rangers is the saddest I've been in football, without a shadow of a doubt. I, I was doing well when I was 17, 18, but you never seen any light in the tunnel. There was just internationalist after internationalist coming in, and you've got boys in the dressing room, and you're getting a bit disillusioned. And I probably should have worked harder. I should have worked harder at my game. Not I worked hard in games, but I wouldn't go to the gym or I wouldn't stay back. And I would just I like to carry on with the boys and stuff like that. And there was one or two guys who were committed. I wasn't really because I didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I got a bad back injury when I was 20. I put me out for a year uh, and I was coming to the end of my contract and I was six months away from being fit. I'd got the operation in December. My contract expired in the summer and I was going to be another six months before I, I got back fully fit again. And Walter Smith had said to me, don't worry about it. You're here until you get fit, then we'll help you find a club. I said, well, that's great. I goes back in for the pre-season. I'm doing rehab. I never got paid at the end of July. My contract was up. I never got paid. And went to the court, uh, John McGregor and Billy Kirkwood and I says, I've not been paid this month. She says, oh, that's strange. We'll phone the manager. So the phone for Walter Smith, who was away on a first-team trip. And Walter Smith came back and says, listen, you've just to get expenses. So I was 20-year-old and they were going to give me 100 quid expenses a week or something. I was like, you know what, I'm just wasting my time here. So I took my money that they gave me something like 400 quid. I went into the boot room, grabbed my boots, walked out the front door and that was it. And it was it was uh, gut-wrenching because I'd been there six, seven years. Uh, it was a horrible feeling at the time. Uh, must be disappointing to obviously have left on, on such a similar note, particularly if you've, you've, you've been there for such a long time, you've committed that much time to them. You, you then went to to Ross County, mm-hmm. did you have to sort of source that move on your own or at, at that young age, did you have an agent? No, I've never had an agent, not once. Not once throughout my career did I have an agent. Um, I was still months away from being fully fit and somehow I got into Dunfermline to do a bit of training, do a bit of rehab. And I started joining in the training when I wasn't fully fit. I was three, four months uh, away from being fully fit. And uh, Bert Payton was manager and Dick Campbell was assistant. They were like, listen, just plod away, see how you go. So I was going to the film every day, training away. And Ross County had just been elected to the league that year and Neil Cooper had took the job. So Neil was looking for one or two players and obviously had his connections with, with Don Fairman and Dick says, listen, we've got a young lad here who's been at Rangers. He's been out for a year injured. He's looking to get back playing. Would you be interested? So I spoke to Ross County. Their plan was train with Don Fairman full time uh, and come up to us for games on a Saturday. And I said, well, great. And the money I was getting was, was decent for uh, only travelling up on a Saturday. Roy McGregor was paying me through his work, <laughs> uh, a salary, and you were getting him something like 30 quid a week <laughs> playing with Ross County. So that 
didn't really work out as I planned. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't fat enough to do myself any justice. I didn't do well. Uh, I played maybe two months from ten games, and I was miles off. Absolutely miles off. I mean, there's so many youth players that don't make it at top clubs. Some sort of drift out of the game altogether. But I mean, you still managed to carve out 16 years in the senior game, then a couple more years in the juniors. When you've got that sort of injury and you've got that lull between Rangers and then obviously Ross County, did you ever doubt that it would happen? Like that you would get to play football? Or did you always uh, have that ability? Well, the injury I got at the time was was really serious. And the guy who operated it, he says, listen, I don't know if you're going to play again. He says, but if I don't do the operation, you're not going to play anyway. So it's up to yourself whether you get it or not. He'd only done it once before on a guy down in England. I had to go down to Harley Street for that. And I said, well, I've got to take the chance. So when I left Rangers, I thought there was a chance of getting a deal at Dunfermline, but I was Dunfermline were a good side at the time, and I wasn't fit enough to get a deal there. But if you get a kick in the, a kick in the balls, you've, you've just got to keep coming back again. And if you look at my career right to the very end, that's what happened. I kept getting a kick in the balls and coming back and kicking the balls again. You've just got to dig in. It's easy just to fall away by the wayside and throw the towel on, but until it's physically possible that you can't play anymore, you keep playing, trust me. I think that probably one of the words that we could describe that then be resilience. And mm. now we're in totally different jobs, but I'm a manager in, in, in my work. And I tend to find that a lot of the, the younger people that I hire don't tend to have resilience. Like, you know, if you, if you have to, you know, coach them or create creatively, you know, critique their performance or whatever, you know, that, that there's not that resilience from them. As a manager now, do you find that with the kids that you've got? That's a generation thing. That's all it's down there. I said five years ago, five years ago, I said when I was just getting into the management side of things, players who were 30 and over, you could rely on. But that was a generation thing. Anybody under the age of 30, most of them are fine, but you just get the odd one or two where it doesn't mean enough to them to lose a game or no come to training or things like that. And it started to creep. When I left the senior game, that was creeping into the senior game. Oh, I can't make training night. I've got my girlfriend's birthday and all that stuff. Like, Come on, you're winding me up. I'm missing it for a wedding. I'm missing it for this. And no, I never missed a game. I never. I missed stag do's and weddings. And you never missed your football. That's one thing you got to all the time. And I seen that creeping in in the senior game when I was about ten years ago. And I don't know. I've been at the senior game for a while. I, I don't know if it's as bad as it is now, but it was too easy for for guys to miss sessions. And what I've learned to live with now at the level I'm at. And it took me a year or two because I used to get really frustrated as the text at 20 minutes to 7 when you're training at 7 o'clock, can't make training night and working or it's starting the next time, I can't get a babysitter. And I've learned a lot of it. You've spent all day planning a session for 16 people and 13 turn up. And, but that's where we are and that's the nature of what football is and the level I'm at, I've got to accept it. Just to yeah. get on with it. Fair enough. So you had spells across all your clubs then, so we'll name them. So... Ross County, Hamilton, Wraith, Arroth, Brecon, Clyde, St. Johnson in your first 10 years in the game. So two and a half seasons at Brecon was your, your longest spell at any club. What was the the move? Was the moving around your choice to, to get the best deals or was it? would you like to have found somewhere to settle down and sort of made it a long-term staple? I think... <laughs> you're spotting there apart from Brecon I've never been anywhere in one two years not at any club and it's not a case of I don't get itchy feet or I don't, I don't it's not I'm not settled I need a new challenge I need something else to put my teeth into and something different and 
I don't want to get stale being at a club for three, four, five, six years and just going through the motions. And I end up Wraith Rovers, I had to leave Wraith Rovers through injury. Well, I was out of contract, but I left through, I was injured again for a spell. Came back and played junior, got picked up with Arbroath, left there, went to Brecon, spent three seasons at Brecon, and then had the opportunity to go full time again at Clyde. And I was there at Clyde. We lost promotion to the Premier League on the last day of the season. And there were only two or three of us under contract the following year. Started off the following year at Clyde. Never going too great with Billy Reid. He took over Fallon Kernan. Uh, he was looking at bringing in Eddie Malone for St. Johnson. Uh, St. Johnson wanted me to go there, so there was a player swap deal. I gave him another two-year full-time security. And then after that, after, I was injury-prone for two years at St. Johnson. Never got going. Uh, had a wee spell in Iceland and stuff like that. But never, ever once financially motivated. Uh, the money, if I told the money I am part-time, it was, it was nothing. I probably earned the same win bonuses at other clubs until I got later in my career. Towards the end of my career, then I did move once or twice, which to look after our kids at the time, I just moved out. And that's, that takes over priority. But for the first period, it was about playing football at as high as level as I possibly could. I've got to ask you about our growth. Because that yes. was when when you you first kind of came into to me knowing about you. Yep. F- for anyone that doesn't know, there were there was an incident <laughs> with a, a a team photo where you were slightly exposed. Let's just put it that way. I loved your quote afterwards where you said it was just a small thing. Was that because <laughs> it was really cold at Gayfield? But I mean, like, well, I mean, what what made you do that, Michael? Honestly, that's that's the only regret I've got in my career. Only regret that I've, that I look back and say, why did you do that? And ah, just one of these spur of the moment things. We, we were, it was a team photo on the pitch at Arbroath. It was the middle of December, so we all went out, and it was freezing and blowing a gale. You know what's like up there, best of thing. Oh, aye. So I'm sitting down, and for a laugh, the guy bent down to take the photo. For a laugh, shots to the side. Now, shots to the side. He takes a photo, so I put the shots back again. And the guy went, thanks, guys, that's it. So he took one photograph, right? <laughs> he took one photograph and then he pissed off. And I was like, oh, and I didn't think any more of it. And we went to, I think it was, I, I, I woke up on Friday morning, I worked in the side dockyard at the time. And I went down and into the dockyard and I pulled into the dockyard and I walked into the cabins. And there it is plastered in the newspaper. Boys had put it all over the walls of the cabins. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, I couldn't believe what had happened. But what they'd done is, whoever had been in the premise had doctored the photo to make it look like I was... Oh. Instead of just being normal. Because the guys who know me, there is no chance that that's that's the case. Trust me. <laughs> and I went on the Saturday, I think we were still in Albany. I was either injured or suspended. So I've turned up in the car on my own and the boys are wetting myself. But the gaffer's gone mental. And it was uh, John Brownlee. Because Dave Baker had signed me at our growth, but he had left and John Brownlee had took over. And they went, oh, trust me, he says, the gaffer is going absolutely bonkers. And he says, um, he wants to see you. So he comes out the park and says, what do you think about it? I said, I said, gaffer, I know. I said, sit swear a moment, Sally. He went, they went and printed 5,000 calendars. I went, I said, there's not even 5,000 folk in our broth. I said, never mind 5,000 calendars. And he says, you're getting fined two weeks' wages. And I went, I'm not getting fined. And this was me at the time. Went, you're not fining me. He went, what do you mean? I went, I'm not fined. You're not fining me. He says, you're getting fined two weeks' wages. I went, I'll just not come back. And they went, what do you mean you'll not come back? I went, I'm not coming back. I says, if you find me two weeks wages, I won't come back. I'll sit at the end of the season. I'm not coming back. So lo and behold, I sort of fell out of him and Dick 
came in for breaking and put a bid in the following week. I was away within seven days. I'd love to have known this, like, the negotiations. It's like, you can have him as long as you pay for the cost of getting new calendars printed. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They went on about 5,000 calendars. I was like, come on, Arbor's not going to sell 5,000 calendars. But the printers had stitched me up. Yeah, I, I thought it was hilarious. Like I, I, I know we're like winding up about it. I, when I read it at the time, I thought, "Oh, that's superb." And it's like, it's probably happened loads at other clubs, mm. but there's been other photos, so that that explains everything now that there was just yeah. that one photo. One photo. The guy took one photo and then went away because it was freezing cold. That's a oh, great but... photography gig. <laughs> yeah, I know, but when I look back, that's the one thing. I, because I just started seeing my wife at the time, and I had to go and see her parents and stuff like that. I thought, oh, there's got to be an irony in there that that got you a move and Dick Campbell signed you. <laughs> <laughs> Dick signed the Dick, aye. And it, and it worked out good for you, Brecon, as well. It was, a, it was a good team at the time. Yep, definitely. Yeah, it was a good move. Well, like, talking about cold conditions and stuff, you, you touched on it there. You went to, to Iceland only for two months after mm-hmm. you, you left St Johnston. Now, I'm always curious with like weird moves like this. What, how on earth did you, you land up there? Why was it just so short? And what was life like there kind of as a footballer and away mm-hmm. from the pitch as well? Uh, I was coming into my contract at St. Johnson and I hadn't played. I had bad problems with my pelvis and groins and hamstrings and all that stuff. And when I look back now, every time that I went to a full-time club, I seem to struggle. And I think the full-time training, my body couldn't cope with it. I just think, mm-hmm. because of my back operation when I was younger, I think everything else was out of sync. And I was picking up hamstrings and calves and hips and groins. And I think that was doing the full-time training. So there was a guy, Johannes Edvaldsen, who, Shuggy Edvaldsen, who played yes. the Celtic yeah. in the 60s or the 70s. I didn't know him. I had no idea who he was. So Owen Coyle came in. We were having lunch at St. Johnson one day and he went, oh, I've got big Shuggy Edvaldsen on the phone. And he's fancy going to Iceland for the summer. Now, I thought it was at the wind-up, so, and that. so I was out of contract. I had no job to go to. I was unemployed. I wanted to get back playing somewhere that I could come back fit and then try and find a club again. So I spoke to the wife. I just had a wee boy. He was only about one year old at the time. I said, listen, I said, oh, I'd be interested in going. So I went and met him. He gave me the spiel about the club. And he says, listen, to put you in the picture, I went, most of the clubs are based in Reykjavik. He says, 90% of them. He says, but this club, he says, it's a two-hour drive away. He says, it's in a fishing village in the middle of nowhere. I says, listen, I says, I'm fine with that. I says, I come from a small village myself. But I says, I've got a country mentality a wee bit. I says, I'm, I'm not keen on the big cities anyway. I says, I'll get a crack. They were in the first division. So I met him a couple of times and I spoke to the, the chairman of the club uh, over the phone. And he says, yeah, I'll get you over. Not a problem. So they picked me up at the airport, travel over. Great. Absolutely fantastic experience. The way of life, just, they're so laid back, the people over there. and They're just, they're just great. The, the reason the short spell, I think I went over for the start of the season and this is when the season finishes. It finishes at the end of September. Uh, it says, but we'll let you away at the end of August so you're a free agent so you can go and sign me something when you go back home. And I says, well, that's fine. That suits me. Don't a tea. We'll pay you so much a week, which was some of the money I was getting at St. Johnson. Uh, and I was sending it home to the wife. They put me on my flat. You get your meals in a hotel. But the guys over there, they were part-time but full-time type of thing. You trained every day, mm. but you trained every night. So the guys are going to their work during the day and they're coming at night. There was me and there was a Bosnian internationalist 
who were, was over there as well. We were the only two that didn't work. And we had a couple of Serbian guys. Now, the Serbian guys were sharing a flat, and they had to work in the... It was a fishing village. And the Serbian guys had to work in the fish factory from six in the morning to six at night, seven days a week, to make ends meet, to give themselves some money. And then they would come and train at night with the local Icelandic guys, and I would join in. So during the day, you have nothing to do. So you're staying up till two, three in the morning playing computer games on your own, waking up at 11, 12 o'clock, having a bit of lunch, going to the gym or the swimming pool, playing computer games until you went training, and then you were home again at night. And the games were, the club was no bigger, you were getting a couple hundred people at your game, they were like a junior side. Uh, the standard wasn't great, but they were full of enthusiasm. They loved the football, they, were, they tried, and they were great guys, and you couldn't do enough for them. But I was a wee bit homesick at times, as much as I tried to hide it. And I walked off training one night, I just... Something was going on. One of the Icelandic guys was just messing about and having a carry on. And I spat at them and said, oh, I'm away. I said, I'm gone. I said, I've had enough of this. Uh, I went back to my room and the coach came, chapped the door. Well, let's go for a walk. Bosnian guy, he fled the um, great guy, Ayut, I think he was called, Ayut or something like that. And he had played so many games for the old Yugoslavia and he fled during the war to escape it. And he went to Iceland and he played football. And that's how he... And he had broken English. And they sat me down and she said, listen, we know you're more talented than other guys here. They look up to you and I know you get frustrated with them and that, but I need you here to try and keep us in this league. So I stayed and I said, right, okay. I said, it's fine. I said, uh, I'm happy enough to stay. I said, not an issue. And at that time, about a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from Gordon Dale. No idea how I got my mobile number because it was only my wife and my mum and dad had my mobile number. It was a old brick at the time. It was an Icelandic SIM card and stuff like that. And Gordon Dale says, listen, would you be keen to come back to Wraith Rovers next year? This, that, the next thing. I says, listen, I can't get away till the end of August. And he says, listen, that's fine. I'm, I'm willing to live with that. And then he came back again and says, no, I need you back earlier for pre-season to get you ready for the season. And about three days later, Dave Baker had phoned me. He, got, he had phoned my mum's house, uh, got my number. He phoned me about two or three days later. He says, listen, I might use five Billy Grays and help me. We're spending a few quid. So I actually could have been in Israel a year before I went, but Dave was oh, just right. two or three days later than Gordon Dale. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like when when I when I was looking to see the clubs you'd played for, and I saw Vikinger, I got excited for a second because I started watching Faroe mm. Islands football during the pandemic, and the club I adopted there was called Vikinger, and I was like, oh my god, is this this club? And then it turned out it was Iceland. But yeah. I'd love to go and see some games like there, the Faroes. I've watched some Greenland ah, stuff. It's just. It's stunning. People, you would say to your next door neighbour, oh, listen, you look after the kids, we're away down to Reykjavik, which is a two, two and a half hour drive away. And the kids would just roam the streets. There was no crime. Everybody left their doors open. The kids were out playing till 11, 12 o'clock at night in the, in the streets and playing football and basketball in this wee village. It was daylight all summer. I was playing golf at two. I came back from an away game down in Reykjavik against some team. And I got back 12 o'clock, half past 12. The guy says to me, you fancy a game golf? Now, they had a little nine-holer on the side of the, the village. I went, game golf? He went, ah, you fancy a game golf? Ah, I like a game golf. One o'clock in the morning, there's me, four tins in my bag, walking around a local, a local, it was like a, a sheep's field. That's what it was, playing golf with this guy at two in the morning. It was just surreal, but lovely people, great play. Superb. We'll skip over your, your time with Wraith, because we don't want to talk about them on this show too much. So... I mean, you mentioned that you had the chance to join East Fife the season earlier. 
what was it then that, that made you leave Wraith to East Fife? Obviously, folk will say Willie Gray's money, but it's like, what was that the, the driving factor or did you like what he was putting together at the club? A bit of both, to be, to be honest with you. I was a regular in the Wraith team that year and we got beaten the playoffs uh, and David came on to me and says, listen, this start the next thing. Uh, I just moved house, I had my second kid and they went, we're going to give you a two-year contract. And I was 32, 33 at the time. Two-year contract. Listen, my, my, the basic wage I was getting wasn't much more than I was on at Wraith Rovers compared to maybe what Paul McManus or Stephen Tweed or some of the other guys were getting. But it didn't bother me. It was a... You, you'll always, always sign a deal that you're happy with. This is the matter what anybody else gets. If you're happy to sign for what you get offered, you sign it. And then don't knock the manager's door two weeks later and say, oh, you just went to sign Stephen Tweed. He's on 100 quid more than me. I'm, I'm one up the same as him. You don't do that. But I went in to see John McGlynn and I said, listen, I've been offered a deal for next year for East Fife. I went, you've never asked me if I'm going to stay next year. Oh, I want you to stay, I want you to stay. Uh, I said, so, so what's it? Ah, you'll be on the same terms, your contract. And I didn't think he made enough effort to try and keep me. And I've done very, very well that year. And I don't think, he, he, he never, I'm not talking push about financially. I didn't get the vibe that he wanted me to be there. Or he wasn't fussy if I'd moved on. Spoke to Dave, spoke to Wally. Big plans for the club. And I says, you know what? I says, oh, I'm going to get a crack. And was it financial more it? Partly, more more the two-year contract, more than the financial side of things, was, was the pool. And probably the opportunity to win a league title. But a few months after that, I bumped into John McGlynn. He says, listen, I made a big mistake. I probably should have made more of an effort to keep you. He says, ah, that's football. I says, you move on. What, what was Willie Gray like as a chairman? Like, Did you have a lot of interaction with him or was he kind of more hands-off? Uh, uh, I never really was that close. There was a few of the boys, listen, there's a reason they were around about him all the time because they knew there was financial benefits there. But I got great with Willie and I got great with his wife and uh, not a bad word to say about him. And he was good with me. And I think you listen to some of the shows previously. His sole goal was to try and topple the rovers. That, that was Willie's goal. He wanted to prove a point. Yeah. And he almost done it. He wasn't far away from doing it. So you, you wrote yourself into the history books with the team. The the first team in 60 years to, to bring a championship to, to Bayview. At, at what stage of the season did you realise that it was going to be a special squad and that this, this was going to happen? Christmas night out when we were singing Champions and Dunfermline. That was when we realised we'd cracked it. Um, yeah, that was a true story where... We're on our Christmas night out in Dunfermline and Stephen Tweed bought a bottle of Moe Shandon and uh, cracked the home and start, stood up and started singing Stand Up for the Champions and that was the 18th of December or something. Oh, so that's how, that's, how, that's how confident we were. But to be fair to Dave, and I think uh, Dave Muir or Greg McDonald touched on it, but tell you what, they're two intellectual guys, eh? they two when they speak. Very intelligent, they two, compared to your Bobby Lynns and your uh, Camerons and your Smarts. What a difference they were. Hi, we didn't have but, to translate them like we did with Bobby. <laughs> well, actually, Jay Smart was the worst to try and translate. Yeah. He was what did terrible. you make of Muir's uh, American Scottish accent? Uh, he, yeah, he's got a polite portion of that. He's just a changed boy. He's changed. Some boy, honestly. <laughs> uh, but he was pretending he's hires and intellectual. Uh, comes with the comes with. Was that Hamilton or something? I he grew up in Glen Office, though. So. Ah, he grew up in Glen Office, aye. That's just his worst. It's full of Ouija's. McManus as well. He's a, he's a Glen Office Ouija. Aye, so aye. when you move over here, though, you can just reinvent yourself. It's like, that's what I've done. 
Ah, you just pretend you're intelligent. Yeah, that's that's the best. Where was I? I've lost my way. Aye. So Dave went and signed the players. He brought in myself. He brought in McManus. Uh, he brought in. Wait a minute. I've wrote it down here because I've been trying to do a wee bit of research. Wally McCullough, Dougie, Graham Guy, Paul Stewart, and myself. And then he topped that up with Bobby Lynn, Gary Greenhill, Chris Templeman, Dev, and Craig White. And it's okay having the money behind you to go and get players, but you've got to get the right types of players. Mm-hmm. You've got to get the players that's going to get you that league. And he could have went and got ultra-talented players, which, listen, these guys were, were talented for that level, but he brought the right type to the club. He, he brought the right type of player, which he needed to win that league. And Dave, tactically, very, very basic. And that's what I liked about him. See, it's very similar to Dick Campbell. Straight, nothing complicated, nothing... No rocket size. Good players in the park. Boys are going to battle. Boys are going to work hard with a bit of talent as well. And it gets you far. And Dave and Dick are cut from the same cloth with that. you got the right type of players in. Basic instructions. There you go. You're playing there. You're playing there. You do that. You do that. He's their danger man. He's their danger man. Stop them from playing. That was it. And well, the, I mean, the rest took care of itself. I, we, we won the league quicker than Rangers won it. And we won it with more points yep. than Rangers won it. And they had a way bigger budget. Mm-hmm. Well, there was decent sides in our league but we were just a solid solid unit when you look right through the team and, and most of our boys were 7s 8s out of 10 every week every week you'll be 7 8 of 10 Greg McDonald I was 7 7 7 Tweedy Jay Doogie and then you had your boys like maybe McManus and Bobby who'd be a 10 one week maybe a 6 the next week but you had a core of 6 7 guys who would be consistent week after week after week and that just churns out victories and results so we'll come to the title one in a second, but in general, how do you look back at that season? Is it one of your favourite in football? Aye, aye, definitely up there. The, I think they've all spoken about the team spirit and the camaraderie. Listen, you fought like cat dog. I think I'm getting a bit stuck in the phone with everybody in the team at, at one point, but that was the case. Uh, me and Ryan Blacker have travelled to train together. There was times I left, I left dude at training because I'd fell out on the training part and I fell out with McManus with a fight after one game, but we sorted it out. It got sorted out very quickly. And Blackadder, Bob Geldof had a nickname Blackadder because he missed about six Mondays in a row. So that's why it uh, was bizarre. Ryan had been the team for five or six weeks and then he'd go and Bender for about three or four weekends in a row and then he wouldn't make training on the Monday. Dave would leave him at the team because he'd made training. Then he'd come back to training on the Monday and get back in the team and, oh, what a laddie. But there was, there was a few barneys, but it was sort of the, the end of training the next, it didn't fester as soon as you let things fester that's when you've got problems it never festered at your club and everyone was a winner and what helped that team there was only two or three of us probably had uh, families wives and children the rest of them maybe had girlfriends but they never had many commitments so whenever you had a night out 16, 17, 18 boys there everybody's there everybody's at the night out they carry on at training they would go on their benders on a Sunday but come a Monday night which was your running night they would put the shift in on the Monday night and we'd get the weekend out there. And the Monday was hard graft to get the weekend out yeah. And then you trained on the Thursday with the ball out, with five sides and stuff, and you're ready going go on a Saturday. Simple, straightforward stuff. So, I mean, when you're winning so comfortably week after week, was it hard to keep the focus and, and the motivation going? I mean, I think that you've touched on it there. There was obviously a lot of the guys had that desire to win and obviously they've been financially motivated as well. But was it hard to keep that 
every single week? No, 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 not at all. It's personal pride at the end of the day. Everyone's personal pride and going out and doing the best you can every week. My, every, every club that I've been for, Saturday morning, you wake up, 9, 10 o'clock, whatever, and you focus, your focus is the game. 3 o'clock, who am I playing against? Oh, he's quick. No, he's good in the area. Right, let's get myself ready. I'm going to steamroll him. He got the better of me the last time. I'm going to steamroll on top of him. I'm playing against, oh, he's a bit quick. I'm going to have to back off him. And I always thought about the game on a Saturday morning. And I say to my players, and now and I'll, I'll say it right Right, we're playing Bonus or we're playing Bonnerig. I went, you are up against such and such. What do you know about them? And they don't know anything about the players they're up against. Unless it's local guys, guys that went to school, we were in this area. No, 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 guys. I knew everybody I was up against. I knew, and that was before the time of social media and stuff like that. I knew who I was up against. And my sole focus on a Saturday was turning up, getting three points for the supporters, for the managers, for the, the committee, the board. These guys have been here for years. They're paying money to come and watch you. The least you can do is give everything you've got in that game. So, we're going to talk a bit about uh, Mr McManus. But, I mean, he said that, that you guys, before he even, um, before these were teammates, these used to really get on at each other. And you're talking about studying the, the oh. players that you played against. So, Crazy. he says that you won, him over, uh, you, won, you won him over even eventually, but was that feeling mutual to just have that genuine disdain for each other? Ah, no, I, I never, we disliked each other before we joined and played with each other. Uh, I, I, I came ahead one night, I was playing a reserve game for Brecon against Ray Sovers with Paul Wiz, and uh, there was a battle going on in this game, I was totally my arguing, we're about fighting. And I'm, I'm pointing, I'm going, aye, you, I'll see you in the car park after again and see if your fucking dad's there. Tell him to come along and on, I'll take him. And then years later, when you look back at it, I went to Paul's wedding and his dad taps me on the shoulder. All right, ah, you want to go in the car park with me and Paul now? That is not you, like George. George's a man, mouth is on. Don't worry about that. But that was me. I fell out with everybody I played against, every single player and everybody I played with. But I wouldn't walk past any of my teammates that I've played with over the years. There is not one that I would walk past in the street. I don't keep in touch with a lot of players. I've not got a lot of players' numbers, but I, would, I, would, I wouldn't walk past them in the street if I see them up. I, I, I got on with everybody. Maybe they say different about me, but I got on with most people. But when it was a Saturday, when it was training, it was like a switch. That's it. All joking aside, nobody's actually genuinely had a bad word to say about you. Paul said that there was a bit of a needle before these were teammates, but then he couldn't speak mm-hmm. highly enough for you after that. Um, I Paul also said, like when when Bakey said, oh, we're, we're going to sign fathering him. He thought it was the other fathering him. And when he found out it was right. you, he's like, oh, fuck, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, Wraith no balls up his contract because I'd already agreed to go before him. But Wraith didn't register his contract. He had signed a, a new deal with Wraith and they hadn't registered at the time. So Dave and Willie slipped in, yeah. got him signed and got him registered before Wraith had actually put the paperwork through. And that, that sort of left a wee bit of uh, dodgy dealings on that side of things. But uh, no, listen, Paul was a fabulous player. I've tried to got him on board one or two occasions in the last few years, but he's now, he's, he's the biggest change in the lad I've ever seen. He used to be mental up for a laugh, one of the boys now, he talks all polite and they're starting the next thing, marbles in the middle. <laughs> Christ, man. Paul McManus would sign with Moon United if they gave him an extra £10 a week and he can deny it he's 90. Whoever gave Paul the most money would go and that's fine. That's the way he is and he was money motivated and he always will be, but at least something motivates him. But I, I don't think he'd deny it. I think he'd no, agree he that that's what it is. 
Disney deny it. But um, ah, he's done great, and he he's another one. He got better as a player as he got older, better every time. And when he was young, he was raw. He was a good finisher. He made good runs, and he was off the cuff. And he was still like that when we won the league that season. But see when you see him when he went to Brecon and further on into Cove and when he got into his thirties, his hold up play and his appreciation of the game, everything was much, much better than it was. And he, he matured. He, again, he got married and had kids and he matured, as we all do. I don't know if he's matured, like, we better not say that. <laughs> Listening, Paul, still didn't even mature. But look, I, I went to Paul, he's somebody that I know well, and I said, look, I, I need to find out what was Fozzie like before we get him on the show? And he's like, right, I've got a, I've got a few things I could tell you about Fozzie. And, and you could just say true or false, right? True or uh-huh. false. Yeah. Would have done anything for someone's beer on the bus journey's back. <laughs> he, once quoted as saying he would suck someone's bobby for four cans of lava and a pack of extensions. True or false? Uh, that, the comment's true, but the actual action's false. It's tongue-in-cheek. That <laughs> That was my bad at the time, but listen, that was, I took six tins every time we were on the bus journey. Bought with my bag under my boots, six tins for the journey home. Win, lose, or draw, a beer. That was me. A tin of beer on the way home, but uh, the statement's true, but the action is false, I would say. Next true or false. He once had a whole pie in his mouth at a Player of the Year dance after eating about ten. The boys <laughs> asked him if he wanted any more, and he just put the whole pie in his mouth. True or false? Nah, I can't mind that. That's false, man. So before we go on to that, I actually know a few boys that play for you. Right. So I tried to find out a bit about Fozzie as a manager. You better not name the players. <laughs> I'm not going to name the players. Purely Check <laughs> Lee's Facebook page and you'll see which of your players <laughs> follow him. <laughs> so one of them told me that he's had a Zoom quiz during the first lockdown and he fell asleep. True or false? I fell asleep, aye. aye. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Is that I don't drink, company or, or too many beers? No, no, I'm a beer drinker. And uh, for some reason, I had a bottle of white wine in the fridge. And I'd had five or six beers and I went on to the white wine. And I was absolutely sparkled. Sparkled. <laughs> and I fell asleep on the table with the Zoom camera on me. Oh, that was a good... So the boys, uh, they, they enjoy that one. Yeah, well, I, I could actually relate to that. We had my, my cousin's wedding a few years ago. Um, and I'm normally a lager drinker, but one of my other cousins was there and he's like, oh, like, you want to share a bottle of red wine? And one bottle went to two, and two went to three, and three went to four. And I, it's literally 10.30 at night, and I'm passed out at the table at the yeah. wedding. Um, and there's, yeah, there's loads of photos and stuff of me, so I, I could totally relate to that. <laughs> Apart from that, um, the, the only one that I'm going to actually say on air um, was that you're the most megged player in training. Is that true or false? Oh. Unbelievable. They, they're absolutely dreaming, some of them. There's times I go in there and, and honestly, I'm 45 year old and I'm pulling the strings and I'm running the show. They're lucky I can't run anymore because I'd still be playing. But uh, no, I join them back and forward uh, and I like the wee boxes and the wee five or six and a wee bit of shooting. But uh, I just get in. Sometimes I go in and join in just to get a wee bit of sparking, shouting, talking, organising, do the things I've done as a player because boys know they're naturally quiet and you, you want to bring them out and you want to get training up to a high tempo and if I join in or he joins in sometimes it, it tends to bring it up or be not definitely that's that's fine that's that's as much as you've been stitched up with oh, that's not too bad then I thought they would be one listen that's because they're, they're worried that they're not going to play on a Saturday <laughs> yeah. well, 
Tell Chris Gay that he's all right. He's probably been playing no bad recently. <laughs> Listen to Chris Gay, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I'm sure I gave him a Lenny and he's five jersey that I've not had back he yet. He did. He Aye. wore it at the, the foot golf. Aye. <laughs> I, I didn't think he's actually... Well, I thought you me on a mask because <laughs> I, I got a message one day and it was like oh do you have a nice five top hooker ball I was like aye if you want um, and then I, I didn't actually think I got that back so that's a, that's a good point actually I forgot about that well, there we go this is your time then, Fozzy, to get your own back on, on mm. some of your teammates because we've heard lots of wild stories stinky finger gate from Linny and Smarty I can't remember that I cannot remember that it uh, <laughs> Yeah, you've probably blocked it from your memory, but for good reason. But uh, it, it seemed like a bit of a wild dressing room, a fun dressing room. Was it one of the the best kind of dressing rooms that that you've been around in? Ah, what's that? A shadow of a doubt. The difference that we had at East Fife is you had your Dundee Mad Squad who came in a car. Tweedy drove separately because he refused to drive with them. You had the local five boys. You had a car for Embra. We kept we kept Gordon was a great guy. We kept Gordon wasn't a regular in the team and he was on the bench a lot, but you would never knew, it never faced him. He always came in chirpy and bubbly and he enjoyed the banter. And that's what made it a good squad because even the guys that didn't play were, were buzzing. They, were, they just enjoyed coming in. So you had the Glasgow boys, the Edinburgh boys. And normally when you get that, you get wee tweaks in the car school whenever they come into training and they just go away and do their own thing. That was the one club where everybody sat next to different people in the dressing rooms. When you went and done the warm-up, you warmed up with one of the boys for Glasgow, one of the boys for Edinburgh. And there was nothing. It was just total, everybody just bought into what we were doing and we all got in great. There was a time to work, there was a time to play and we done it at the right times. A- any players you want to stitch up with some stories? Nah, they, they, they've told all the ones about the, the ferry gate and stuff. The ferry gate was madness. That whole weekend was, <laughs> that was absolutely bonkers. But they've not, I don't think they've told you what about it because it was only me and Dougie at the time. We went to Newcastle. We played Newry, I think, on the Friday night at pre-season. And we came back and Dave says, uh, the older boy's over 30. You just going to have a beer. Uh, myself, Tweedy. I think Gordon Stanich was there at the time, but he didn't drink. There one or two others. You just going to have a couple of beers. Nothing dark, but the older boy's going to have... Over 30, he's going to have three or four beers. Oh, great. Lo and behold, we go and we played a local side the next day, like a junior partner coming to the word, Dave, oh, you're going to have to play on that fuck. I just played last night and I've had three or four beers. I've like, ah, just got to play. I'll play another and I'll take you off. Ah, right, they bought. So he goes out on Saturday night. Saturday night was wild. I think I told you stories about the pubs and all that. And we had to get escorted back to the... We're staying in the poshest hotel in Northern Ireland. They sleeved on it. But it was absolutely out of this world. And here's 30 crackpots for these five. Staying with all these businessmen and families. And, oh, they must have been thinking, so what's going on? But we had our night out and we were up at 10 in the morning to get the bus back up to... The ferry, but the ferry wasn't until six o'clock at night. So we get we're going to Belfast. We arrived at Belfast at eleven o'clock and days like right, these are free. Be back here for four o'clock, five o'clock, get the bus back to the ferry. So we're walking about nothing open. There's nothing open at twelve o'clock. So we're walking about Belfast and we bored out of tears. So the pubs were open, Doug's I gone for a pint. It was only me and him at the time. I says, I well, a couple of jars. So the guys had been wandering in the shops or whatnot and uh some of them had joined us later on. I'll be raised over in this pub comfortable. So as we're going back to the bus, there's a Curry's on the, or it was an electrical shop on the Main Street, on the High Street in Belfast, whatever it's called. And there's a big box outside the, the Curry's shop advertising a TV, a 30-inch TV or a 40-inch TV or what it is. 
Dougie jumps in the box, right, and closes his cell in. And she's, watch us, watch us, watch us. And it's only me and him. And I'm standing 10 yards away from him. And every 30 seconds, he would just jump out the box and go, ha! So all these fucking people walking on the street, all deers and everything, sitting in their cell going, who's this? And he's going, ah! And then he's go back in the box again and hiding for the next person. And 30 seconds later, he's jumping out again. I'm like, oh, absolutely away with it. Fucking fairy cakes. And then we get on the ferry. The guys have told you a ferry story, probably spot on. Me and dude sitting with the, the loud four as usual. And I couldn't Lloyd picked up the plate of food and threw it. And it, it, it ducked. And it went over the family. And see when you're absolutely pissed and then you just sober up just like that. Me and dude are trying to... The woman had a white cashmere jumper on. The woman. And every time me and dude tried to clean it, we made it worse. <laughs> so she was she had chicken curry on her white cashmere jumper. Me and dude tried to clean it up. And it just made it worse. And the guy was like, and the husband was like, I appreciate I help you, Stuart. He says, but you just want to piss off leave yourself. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate, sorry, mate. And then the guys tell you the police come on and they get called. But I'm, I'm sure they, they got banned for, for the ferry for a year or two. The club was banned. No one's told us that you tried to clean up the, the woman's dress. That's the first we've heard me that. And dude, me and dude had white, they, they paper towels trying to clean the chicken curry off the woman's white cashmere jumper. And we just kept making it worse and worse and worse every time we tried to clean. Oh, God. And I, I think dude, I think dude says to her, or the husband, mate, just set, put it in the post and send it to his wife and we'll get it dry clean for you. And we'll send it back. <laughs> <laughs> Does it know uh, you any Send it to yeah. you, mate, we'll get it clean for you. <laughs> uh, no, that was, that was them. So that was, the Dundee boys, are, they were a different level for everybody else. And everybody just joined in Floyd. I, I like since we started doing this, we've heard such great stories. I've told some of them on my my show that I do over here as well, and the folk here just can't believe that that goes on because they're just they're used to such professional footballers over here. You hardly ever hear about professional footballers over here getting into trouble or doing anything. Yeah, yeah. But like back in Scotland, it's like mental. A few years back, me me my when I'm on the me and my missus went to Musselburgh races with the kids. I'm going back maybe five six years ago. And he's there with the boy Hegarty and Brash and all the guys who he knocked about with in Dundee. And uh, I see him and he's like, ah, how are you doing? Oh, I've been on the drink all day and that. So I walk over to the paddock where the horses are walking around. And there's Doogie leaning on the paddock hangway. And he's got one of the false horses heads on. The rubber one. Right? And he's gone. He's gone, no! He's leaning on the barrier every time my horse walks past. And that, my wife's looking at me going, he's no right. I went, I know. I said, he's wired to the moon. The big rubber horse's head leaning over the paddock every time a horse went back. Nay. Oh, come on, man. That's him. That's his humour. That's him. He's, ah, oh, great. Honestly, what a guy. Oh, superb. His mum and, and dad are very polite and well-spoken. Oh, he's just a different level. Right, let's get you back on to some on-the-pitch stuff then. So... Mm-hmm. It's 13 years next month since we won the championship that day at East Stirling. I can't believe it's like 13 years. It's like crazy. How do you look back at that day now? Because obviously you knew you'd basically got it in the bag for for weeks, but to actually then finally clinch it and to get the trophy and to have all the fans there, I'm gutted I missed it. Because I couldn't risk flying back and then you didn't win it that day. And then I'd have to fly home and miss it the next week. But 
Um, like, what, what's your memories of, of that day? Is that something that's just going to live with you for the rest of your life, really? No, it's great. I, I think we blew it the week before, did we not? Did we not get beat for our bros at home? Yeah. We our bros at home. And everybody was ready for a title party. And that blew up in your face big time. Because everybody had arranged nights out where we were going, this, that, and the next one. Oh, Jesus Christ. But we knew it was going to come. It was just a matter of time. So there was no way we were going to go to East Stirling. And that wasn't going to happen. Paul gets the two early goals, settles us down. And somebody's videoed the game, I think, quite sketchy. Mm. You get to see the goals and you get to see some highlights. If you bang the goals, I think, on a video cam. And the game was, it was a nothing game. Honestly, if you watched most of the highlights, it was terrible. But we'd done what we needed to do. And then obviously, El Toro comes up with the third goal. And I was absolutely ecstatic for the laddie because he, uh, when you win titles like that, it's for yourself, it's for your family, but it's for people like Greg who'd been there a few years. And more importantly, the fans who had never seen a title win. Leona, who is still in office now, Monty, uh, yeah. David Marshall, Jim Stevenson. That's who these titles are for. No me. I'm going to be away in a year or two. Things. These guys have been here 10, 20, 30, 40 years. That's, that must have meant the world to all these people. But when Greg, and you see the emotion in his face when he scored the third goal. And Greg, I don't think Dave Baker fancied Greg as a player. Because he brought in Graham Guy, then he brought in Paul Nugent, and it always seemed as if he was wanting somebody else to come in. But Greg just fucking barred them away. He said, I'm playing. Don't worry about that. And he showed me his performances in the part. He was... Listen, he knows he's certainly wasn't the most talented player in the world, but he'd be in your team every single Saturday without a doubt. Talking of talent then, like when we said we were having you on the show, there's a couple of fans left comments that you're kind of, you're a midfielder, the kind of midfielder that we've not had at the club a lot since you left really. You're you're creative, you're, you're tough, but you can also like splay the ball about and it feels... In the Scottish game, that's kind of a player that's disappearing a little bit. Do, do you feel that's kind of fair to say? Uh, I, uh, you got a lot, you got away with a lot more than you, I think you could put a, a tackle in here and there, and you could have a go at it. You can't do that now. Uh, I think. Listen, I, I thought I got. People would think, oh, he was a hot head. I only got sent off seven times in three hundred odd games, which is one every fifty games, once every two seasons, which isn't a lot for the way I played. Mm. And some of them were. I got sent off my second time for East Fife. The first time, my second time. One of them was against our broth for denying a goal score opportunity for blocking off a striker when the goalie was going to kick the ball, which was miles away. Another time was for taking a free kick too quick up at Brecon. I took a free kick before the referee blew his whistle and he gave me a second yellow card for taking a free kick before he blew his whistle. That was my two red cards when I, when I played with East Fife. And you're right, the other one that I don't see, when do you watch games now where an out-and-out winger takes on a fullback? Yeah. And just takes on a fullback. Now, Bobby Lynn done it. I played with Paul Hartley, the way over, he done it. Jose um, Cotongo at Hamilton. Three or four guys, when you gave them the ball, they took on the fullback and everybody else bombed in the box and just left them. Now, they run up to the fullback, they stop, pass it back to a centre back or a fullback or back to a centre midfielder. Then it goes out the other side, they kid on, they're going to cross it and they come back again. And everyone's possession based, possession based, possession based. And it annoys me. It absolutely frustrates the life out of me the way. People play football no more. And have the missing people who can dominate the middle of the park. Ah, you, you don't, ah, you're, you're right, you don't see. You don't, especially at the higher levels, you don't see it as much. You, may, you maybe see it at the lower leagues uh, further you go down. I think Scott Brown is maybe a guy at the higher level that you can say kind of does that. And he gets slated for it, but I like how he plays. It's like teams need players like him. Like we needed a player like you. And it's like, mm-hmm. 
It is sad to see that go. And the winger thing, right? Over here, they seem to bring out the college system in North America. All these young, fast guys. It's got pace to play in the wing, but their technical ability is not there. So it's like if you knock the ball away from them, that's it. They've not, they can't do anything, or they run out of room and they don't know what to do then. So it's like trying to find a player that's got like the technical IQ and the the speed to get past and attack fullbacks. It that seems to be disappearing as well. But I, I played wide left as I said to you before when I was a young boy at Rangers. I wasn't the quickest player in the world. I used to get the ball and either open up my body one yard, top a left foot, cross in, or bounce off a striker and play a one two. That's all I done in the wide left midfield. Now it's 65 step overs, stop the ball, check back, roll it back, up, yet again do the same. And the, the way the kids have been brought up in the last six or seven years, it's horrendous because they've done away with competitive football for kids in academies. Yeah. And now they're producing robots. So you, you go and watch Celtic versus Aberdeen at under 15 level, you will see 200 passes, but you'll not see any goal scoring opportunities or many. Team, many goals because that's the way they're getting coached and I had a rant a couple of years ago on Facebook about it. we're um, Scotland doesn't have the culture to produce multi-talented world-class players we don't have the weather we don't have the facilities the way we live our lives we're not, we're not brought up like that we have to get back to producing players who can battle and fight but the coaching is better now so they're, they're naturally going to be better anyway but we've got to get back to being competitive and hard to beat and I think when you look at the Scotland team now who's qualified, there's a wee bit of that about them. They have got technically gifted players, your John McGinn's and your Carl McGregor, but they can dig as well and they can battle. Mm. So it looks like we're maybe getting a wee bit back towards that, but for a five, six year spell there, it was, it was dreadful. We've spoke about that a lot in, in previous episodes. And it's one thing that I said is we were terrible under Craig Brown, but mm. we were hard to beat. Correct. You know, we had a few players, your, your Don Hutchison's, Stevie Crawford's, people that could put the ball in the back of the net eventually. But when you look at the the teams that we had after that, we actually had some really good players, but we weren't hard to beat. We were trying to be a team that we weren't. We were trying to be, you know, try to play like an England or a Spain or whatever. And that's not what we're good at. It's not, it's not, and you go back, we qualified for 1990 and 92 and all these tournaments we qualified for around about that, 86 and 82. The good players, but they could do the other side as well. The battle and the fought and they were hard working, but they had talent. And we've missed a whole generation of that for around about 20 years. That it looks like we're maybe coming to the other side of it, hopefully. But that's the case. But listen, I play at my level and there's coaches. And I played a team a few years ago and in the dressing room after the game, there were a tier seven team that had 10 sheets of A4 paper on the wall regarding their tactics. And I'm thinking to myself, You've got tier seven players here, and you are trying to overload them with information, and they were trying to build for the back. And you just kept getting yourself one more. That's not doing anybody any good. I get what you're trying to do, but there's too many of the modern coaches who went and they want to play like Man City and Arsenal. There's only four or five teams in the world can play like that because they've got world class players. You can only play like that if you've got world class players. Bang on. So after you left East Fife, you sort of um, um, bounced around after that and you went to Forfar and the juniors and of course Blingray now are you a Bobby Lynn and you grew up your, your whole life wanting to play for Blingray or was there another incentive to get there I didn't I didn't play with Blingray with Doogie and Jane all them I went after they had all left I didn't go under the Dave Baker Willie Gray scenario alright that had already came oh. to an end I, I, I went after that. that 
No, I didn't play in that team. You had Jay, you had Doogie, you had uh, Bobby, Graham Gibson, the squad of them all went under Dave. And then they never got promoted. They lost out in the league on the last day of the season and the whole team disbanded. And then there was another guy who took over and um, he left. And then Lee Dare got the manager's job. And at the time, I was playing with Forfa, but I'd had a hernia operation and I wasn't getting a game at Forfa. And he says, listen, do you mind coming down and help me out for a couple of months? I've just took over at Blingray. Do you want to play? So I went and helped him for two months and then went back to Forfa. So I was only at Blingray two months and then I ended up at St Andrews and I ended up at Blingray again Lee took the manager's job two or three years later and helped him out for a few months. But that's all. I was only playing for two small spells, but it wasn't. It wasn't under the, the Dave Baker Wally Gray. That's all right. It's the you. proper Ballingray then. So that's good. It was the proper Ballingray thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's not Ballingray. That's Ballingray. In <laughs> 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 the two. Um, so that's fine. And so you then got into coaching, and that, that's something that we're we're both really interested in. Was that always something that you planned? Um, and how did you find the transition going from? Playing the, the the sort of majority of your career in the senior game to then trying to coach players that weren't quite at the level you were used to. I, I'd always thought that I would never get into the game somehow because I always took an interest in formations and tactics and this and that, and I always paid attention to these things and getting and man management was a massive thing as well, which Dave was really good at and Dick Campbell, Jimmy Nichol, and these boys great at man management. That was probably their biggest asset. And I was playing at St Andrews, uh, but I was getting a bit fed up. For my work in Dunfermline at St Andrews, it was taking me an hour to get to training. Uh, I could get to Glasgow for Dunfermline in 45 minutes, but I wouldn't go and play in Glasgow at the age I was. And I, I said to the manager, I said, look, listen, I said, this isn't working out. I went, I'm travelling an hour to get to training. I said, I'm looking at him. I said, I'm 35, 36 year old. And I'm just going to go and play local. And the Lahore welfare job came up. And I said, I'm going to have a crack at that. Now, they'd struggled the year before. They'd never had any money. I said, I'm going to get a crack. So I applied for it and I got the job. And headed to a squad of boys who were uh, average players. But we got in and I brought in John Wiley, who's a local coach, who's a younger guy here, and they knew a few of the boys at that level. We brought two or three in. And we worked on it. And we just worked on them and worked on them. We got them fit, we got them organised, we coached them. And that probably helped me playing as well, because I, I played at the back or I played middle of the park and I, I could dictate what was going on. And we've done great. We pushed the teams at the top of the league for the full season. But I still thought I had another year or two left in me playing-wise. And I was finding it very difficult to play and manage. It was almost impossible. I was getting caught up too much in the game. You're playing the game and you're trying to think of things that you can do to change the game. You're, and you're, um, your mind was wandering. So I said to Lord in the year, I said, listen, I've enjoyed it. I love it. It's a great club, honestly. The people there, the chairman was a gen. The chairman turned around to me and says, day one, you know about football. He says, I didn't. He says, you're in charge of football matters. He says, if you need any support, come and see me. He says, that's it. And he never interfered once, not once. So I thought I had another year left in me playing. Uh, so I left Lahore and went and played with Oakley under Jason Dare. He was manager at Oakley. Uh, and I went there for a year. And then the legs just, I knew, the legs were starting to go. You, you could tell I was training on a Thursday. And then by the time a Saturday was coming, I was, uh, I was struggling. I was struggling to try and, to try and move. So you went to Hillabit Hawthorne after that then, two and a half years there. I actually seen you um, as a manager there a couple of times because I, if I couldn't get to these five game, I'd go watch Thornton Hibs. So I've seen you a couple of times um, against them. So they were fourth in the league um, and it was a club that um, tend to support their managers. They were only the third manager in their 44 year history. It came as a sort of surprise to everyone, obviously, that you went. What, what was behind your decision? <sighs> I, just, I never go with the chairman. 
and it stemmed from an early day. I've knew the chairman all my life. He's been at the club and I'm a local boy. I knew him all my life. But when I got the opportunity to go over, I was delighted. Uh, I brought in Darren Wright. I think Darren Wright was a young boy at uh, East Fife for a spell. He played 10, he played 15 years at Hullaby. So he came in as my sister along with my brother-in-law, Stevie McElroy, and I brought John Wiley with me. So we had a great coaching team. The first season was a bit of transition. Uh, we had to bring a lot of players in. Uh, we finished mid-table the first year. And then I eventually thought, oh, we've got a decent squad here. So we kicked on. And it was the conferences at the time, which was making up the Scotland League. And I, I was probably a driving factor a bit further going for their licence and joining the East of Scotland League because the, the committee were a bit older. They weren't keen. They were happy to stay in the juniors where they were. And Darren brought in three new committee boys, younger guys who were fresh and great boys to bring on board and it gave the, the club a wee bit of impetus. And I thought we were doing well. I thought we were doing great and then we came into the following season we're, we're doing well again. And there had just been a two or three incidents win, lose or draw there was just a negativity at times and I thought I was doing a good job my assistants thought we were doing a good job but people at the club were just constantly negative and it just it was draining me it was wearing me down and draining me this didn't happen overnight it was over a period of about a year and one of the same fathers we played Tweedmouth who we were not a great side and we had a record ever victory won 16-0 against Tweedmouth and I came off the park, me and Darren's walking in the park, and I got a comment coming off the park saying, you'll know when at Pennacook playing that team next week. And I thought to myself, you're fucking me up. And that was the type of stuff we had to talk with all the time. And it happened that many occasions, I just ignored it, just ignored it. And it got to a point, we lost at Gretna in the Scottish Cup. Listen, we should have won 5 6 but we go beat 1-0, the boys scored a wonder goal. It happens, it happens in football. You, you lose games that you should win. And after the game, there was a couple of things said and I went there's no someone says I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not putting up anywhere I says I've had enough I says so it was a, a shock to me and it was a shock to a lot of people but that was that I just it got to a point where listen if, that, if he's only happy that's as far as I've took you pass on it to somebody else it's not a problem well that, that brings us right up to date and we are just now which is, is done Donald Bluebell now mm-hmm. I I've always loved junior football. I first, my granddad used to take me to watch Glenrothes Juniors way back in the 70s. That's the first football I ever went to watch. So I've always loved the junior game. But I've loved that these sides are now making the move to the pyramid. I think it's one of the best things in Scottish football. And Dundonald Bluebell is one of the teams that's, that's done that. And they're in the, the East of Scotland League now. So... What was it that has attracted you to that job and how have you enjoyed it so far? The way I ended up at Dundonald was I had left Hull Abyss and obviously me and Lee Dare go back a long, long while and Lee Dare was the manager at Dundonald at the time and uh, I was due to go on holiday uh, in October, the October school holidays. Uh, so he came come down and see me and went, listen, would you mind coming and give me a hand? This was only about two weeks after I left. I went, it's a bit too soon. I went, I, need, I said, I'm going on holiday. I need a break. I said, I need to try and get away from a wee bill. I says, I says, I'm not sure. I says, I'll have a wee think about it. So I goes away on holiday. My two closest mates are with me. For the whole 10 days, that's all we probably discussed. And listen, my, my, I says, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I said, I need, maybe I need a wee break away from it to recharge the batteries. And my mate come back and he says, I says, listen, this is your level of football. You love it. He says, Dundonald's a good club. He says, a cracking club. He went, are you going to get any other opportunities? And I went, you know what? I says, I'm not so... I went back to Lee. I said, listen, I'll come in short term. I said, I wasn't sure how the players would react to me because with me being at Hullabeath only the month previous, and 
them being local rivals and stuff. I, I wasn't sure how the players would draft. I says, I'll come in, I'll uh, get a go for three, four games. We'll see how it goes. I says, if it works out, great. I'm happy to come back. I went, if it doesn't work out, I says, I'll just step aside again. I says, it's not a problem, but I'll help you short term. And it seemed to work okay. And then it came to a point in about December time where Lee came to me again and says, look, he says, I don't enjoy the managerial side. Says, it's not a dream. He's not keen on a lot of the managerial stuff. Lee likes taking the training and having an input in the team and this, that and the next thing, but he's not keen on a lot of the managerial stuff. And he says, would you want to swap roles? And I says, oh, I says, listen, I says, leave it at the end of the season. I says, well, we address it in the summer, but we'll just crack on how we're going. I says, all right, okay. And then another week or two went back. He says, no, come on, let's, let's think about it. So we sat down with the chairman and uh, Dougie and Alan Halliday, the general manager, and had a discussion. And they were happy for us to swap. He says, listen, if that's the way you feel you want to go, we're happy with it. So that's how we end up getting to Dundonald. So what kind of manager are you? Are you kind of like a tough taskmaster? Are you an arm round the shoulder guy? Or does it kind of depend on the player? I was probably that type of manager, the tough taskmaster. To begin with, my first couple of jobs, uh, I used to get caught up in it and lose the head and stuff like that. But I had assistants who were the other side, they were calmer. So it was like a bit chalk and cheesier, so I could go in and do my bit rant. I mean, but if you're angry all the time, the players will switch off eventually. You've got to pick and choose your moments. And now, I would say, I'm a lot calmer now. I'm a, I'm a lot more, because Lee's got that side down where he can go off the rails and mm. he can give them a bollock in. Listen, if I need to give him a bollock in, I will. I'll go in and I'll, I'll say my piece, but I'll let him if he wants to do it. And, but it depends on your players. It depends on the circumstances. And as, as much as it is to say, the older players probably get a lot more away with a lot more or get a wee bit more leeway than what the younger players do. And that's always been the case. That's always been the case at every club you're at. And, and it's not a manager favouring players. It's just a psychological thing that you've got to... The older players get a little bit more scope uh, than what your younger players get. But no, it's, it's been... With the COVID situation, it's been horrendous. Since March, it's, it's been really, really tough. Try to keep them motivating. So many stoppages and false dawns. It's, it's hard going. Uh, the the last thing I'm going to ask you is uh, is about the current situation. But before before we get to that, like the the pyramid system, I love. I've always loved English non-league football and how you've got the ability to start a team and just go through the ranks. And like I I've followed AFC Wimbledon since they reformed, and then just watching them get back into the league. That's great. And now you've got that in Scotland, but also the addition to the Scottish Cup of having these non-league teams in the Scottish Cup and a lot more of them and obviously Dundonald featured on national television which I don't think a couple of years ago anyone would have thought BBC Scotland's going to show a Dundonald Bluebell game did well against Queen's Park as well who's run away with, with League 2 just now to, to extra time how was that whole occasion was it kind of surreal to know that this team that you've got from lower leagues is suddenly on, on national TV yeah, it was a massive thing for the club, and it didn't really kick in until um, the the cameras came. They were meant to come at one of our home games and do a bit of filming and do a few interviews, but the game was off. But they says, "Listen, we'll still come and we'll do a few interviews." So myself and the general manager and the chairman and a couple of the players all got interviewed, and the BBC released a little trailer for the game. And it wasn't until that came on, I went, "Geez, oh, this is huge!" I says, uh, "Until you, I, I seen that trailer, and it was a massive thing." And I enjoyed the whole experience. I loved it. I loved every single minute of that game. We got plaudits, rightly so, because we've done really, really well against a team that have probably gone on the Gretna-esque type of way with signing players at a couple of levels higher and full-time and stuff like that. 
if the game had been at Dundonald and we had played regular and we had trained regular, I probably would have went, as I normally do, relatively attacking, trying when the game would have been silly. We had only played one game in five weeks. Mm. We couldn't train properly because all the schools were closed. I was dragging them up on Sunday mornings to Astro, school Astro Turfs and we were sneaking on for an hour here and an hour there. And the weather was... We couldn't train. We, we, we were, and I've got guys working shifts and I've got guys like this. So it was really, really tough. So the best way to go about the game and try and get a result or not embarrass ourselves was to, to go the way we did and we done well. And unfortunately, we just ran out of steam, which was expected. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough for clubs like East Fife just now during COVID. We don't know when we're coming back. Are we going to get to have the full season? Is it going to just be 18 games? Is the Scottish Cup mm. going ahead? Are you going to be playing two, three times a week? So, I mean, that's all tough. But in the lower level, it looks like your season might not restart. How tough has it been the last couple of months just trying to keep the, the players fit, keep it ticking over? Just all the uncertainty that that's surrounding like your level just now. Mm-hmm. It's impossible because the, you're only to training twos maximum. If you can't, and that's a best case scenario. So you're sending the guys, you're sending messages in the WhatsApp. Well, just keep ticking your, keep yourselves ticking over, keep yourselves ticking over. But like, there's only so many five Ks and this, that, and the next thing they can do. And I've said to them, listen, when we get back, you're only if they do get back, we're only going to get about two weeks notice, and they're going to turn around and say the league starts in two weeks. Yeah. Now, you've been off for eight weeks and they've given you two weeks notice to try and come back and start a week campaign. It'll be survival of the fittest. And the, the teams with the bigger squads are going to be the ones that are going to benefit out of it. And at this present time, we had a small squad as it was. I've had two guys in yesterday for shoulder operation. I've got two others who are long-term injured. We're running with 12, 13 players. We don't have our 20s to fall back in this year. So it's going to be very, very tough for us. But what do you do? You turn it over, no playing. Whatever the league decide we're going to go, hopefully they might say everybody plays each other once or they might split the league if they've got enough time but most teams have got floodlights now so that's going to help us and the lighter nights are coming in so if it means playing every second midweek so be it so I just depend I, I was very optimistic for a while there that we'd be back starting March middle of March and some of the comments I'm reading with Northern Ireland going back into lockdown till April it's it's not looking great it's not looking great at all no it, it's tough it, it's like a, a year ago almost to the day so it's like about a year and a week ago I was in Scotland just before everything happened I was down in Peebles watching Glenrothes play Peebles because these mm-hmm. five didn't have a game I mean you think what's happened in the year since and just it, it feels like it's never ending I, I mean it, it's tough for us at our level yeah for non-league it's just hard to imagine how you guys can, can keep the club ticking over really well, there's not been the club's got a social club and stuff. There's not been any income from that. You've not got any gate receipts. The players are, are turning up playing for nothing. They're, they're not getting any showers. Or, and their attitude has been, I must say, the games that we did play, we played 10 games when we came back. Their attitude's been first class. Uh, our performances could be better and this could be better. But you've just got to take it what it is. And for these guys to just keep going and keep going, and listen, they're going to sock you on a Tuesday night and pissing with rain and wipe their cell doing wet wipes and jump in their car and go home. It's horrible. And they've stood up to it. And they've stood up to it. And so as most teams in the league. Uh, and I think when we do get back fully, I think we'll see the like caged animals, I would think, want to get out there. Yeah. So you had um, on loan for a brief spell, Jamie Allen, who's quite fancy at East Fife. What can you tell fans East Fife that have maybe not seen a lot of Jamie in terms of his ability? Well, I think we've still got him. I think when we do go back and I've never seen a lot of him he came in 
after we had played our uh, first Scottish Cup tie against East Houses, then he trained a couple of times and he played a bit of a friendly. But energy-wise, he's, he's only, you remember, he's only just turned 18, so he's still a young lad. And for what I've seen so far, I've never seen a player that age for a while with his energy, box-to-box enthusiasm. And we were told for the higher, uh, hierarchy, he's five, listen, he's a good player, he just needs games, he needs to play in a men's environment, and he needs decision-making. It's probably one of the biggest things that he needs to improve on, but that only comes with playing games. He's not going to improve his decision-making playing training games or playing under-18s or stuff like that. He needs to come into an environment, so I haven't seen enough of him as yet. What I have seen is, he's a great lad, his attitude's first class, works his socks off, and Hopefully we've got them until the end of the season and we've got Kyle Bell as well, so hopefully they two will uh, do us a right turn if, if we do get back. Kyle Bell's a great player and I think he'd be pushing for the first team if he hadn't had the injuries that he's had, so look after our boys if you don't mind. Okay. So Definitely. We've, got, we've got a couple of questions to ask you, um, one of them which you do know about is your all-time 11s. This mm-hmm. is something that I'm, I really geek out over and it's memorabilia. So it's... From your playing days, have you, have you kept anything? Did you swap shirts with anybody? Is there anything that you've, you've treasured from your playing time? I've only got my, my two league championship medals and strips are framed. I've got my Brecon one winning the championship at Brecon with the medal framed and I've got my Swife one framed and that's the only two things I've got. I think they're actually in my mum's house but that's the only two things that I've probably kept. So you never kept like your your your, your shirt for Rangers or anything like that? Or was nah, it just... nothing. nothing. I, I swapped. I got Chris Boy's jersey after the game at East End when we played Rangers and yeah. I kept it for a few years and one of my mates uh, who's a big Rangers fan it was his 40th and it was sitting upstairs and I said no someone I said I'm going to get it to Rab for his 40th birthday and I gave it to Rab I said listen I'll mean more to you than what probably probably means to me I've got the memories I don't need a, I know, I don't need a jersey to, to remember me of that that, that tends to be the, the, the sort of situation when we are speaking at football and it just shows the sentimentality from a fan to the, the people that have actually experienced it because there's not many people, apart from you and Donaldson who we spoke to last week um, or, or two weeks ago now that have, have kept a lot of their stuff. But finally, mate, um, last question. Um, all-time 11s, I hope you've done your research. I know that you said you were going to have to rack your brain. Right. Mm-hmm. You said that you weren't going to name drop. I've tried to persuade you to do otherwise. Um, but we'll, we'll see if you get on. So we'll start with your all-time 11 with. My all-time 11 with, I've, listen, I'm, I'm going in between. Doogie picked his mates and Greg McDonald was playing fantasy Premier League, I think, when he was picking his. So I'm not going to put any five players in it because I'm not going to give them big heads. Two or three of them would be pushing for it. There is a couple of, you'll probably find there is a couple of five players in there, but it's not, I'm not putting them in there. I'm putting players in there who made an impact on me when I played with them yeah. at the time where, where I thought he's a player or he was great at that period so I've got Alan McGregor on the goals who came to St Johnson as a young guy who came on loan and you can see then that he was a top class goalkeeper I've got a guy called Mark McCulloch at right back who I played with at Forfar Mark played with Dunfermline Ross County and Inverness and his nickname was Buff and it's easy to see why he was called Buff because he was just an absolute machine he just he could defend he could tackle he could head he could Got up the park, he could score goals. He was everything that you wanted in a full back. Uh, he'd be right back. My centre backs are Marvin Andrews. Yeah. Marvin. I probably had a better relationship with Paul Brown at the time, but Marvin came in and honestly, you would think he hadn't seen a football before when we first signed him. He was absolutely horrific. But he was so single minded to get to the top, it was frightening. Absolutely frightening the work that he put in to make himself the player that he was. And full credit to him. Uh, he, was, he was had a fabulous career. 
And alongside him, I've got a guy called Mark McLaughlin, who I played with at Clyde that went on to Hamilton. Yeah. And Mark was just a no-nonsense centre-half who just wiped people out. And just a man that would you have in the trenches without a shadow of a doubt, he would be there. Left-back, I've changed it three times. I had a couple of others in there, but I've had to end up putting Jason Derham because he's my golfing partner. If I didn't put him in, he'll go in the half. So <laughs> I've, stuck, I've had to find a space for Jason. I've stuck him in at left-back. But Jason had a good career. Yeah. Jason played everywhere. He could play anywhere, Jason. So Jason was a, a top player and had a good career. On the right midfield, I was going to put Charlie King in for breaking, but I've ended up going with Paul Hartley. Paul Hartley played at Wraithers for a wee spell and got a move to Hibs. Was, well, in his day, was unplayable. Was, as we spoke about, a direct winger who took on fullbacks every single time he got the ball. He was a fabulous player. In the middle of the park, and he only played for a wee spell with me, and I'm putting him in here because there was a game he played at Easter Road. And you know how you used to get your Sunday uh, star checks? But you got mm-hmm. 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10. He got a 9 out of 10 and he was subbed off at half time. And it was David Kirkwood, East Five legend. Oh, yes. Da- David Kirkwood played at Easter Road in a Scottish Cup tie. And he got two, He got taken off after 45 or 60 minutes and he got a 9 out of 10 in the star check. I've never seen a performance like it for anybody else. And that, that one match, just controlling a game for start. Until he went off. And beside him in certain midfield, I went with Charlie Muller. Me and Charlie grew up in the Rangers youth team together from the ages of 13. And Charlie's the most talented player that I've ever seen at any level. Now, he should have went on and had 100 Scotland caps and played with Rangers for 10, 15 years without a shadow of a doubt. And circumstances dictated, didn't he? But Charlie's in there without a shadow of a doubt. He was top, top talent when he was a young boy. When the left midfield, it was a toss up between Paul Sheeran. At St. Johnson, but I went with Jose Cotongo, who I spoke about earlier. Mm. And again, we Jose was, was unplayable at times when at Hamilton, they just give him the ball, let him do what he wants. And up front, I went for my breaking pairing at one of the league. I went with Roddy Grant. Roddy was a fabulous player, he was coming to end his career, but you just threw the ball up to him and it stuck all day long and he'd score goals. And we had a decent understanding, me and Roddy. And a couple of other guys have stuck him, and I went with Chris Templeman. Uh, mm. Chris didn't do so great he's fine but I, I, I probably played over 150 games with Chris at various clubs uh, and he probably hates me with passion because I was on his case 24-7 in every single game but he was another player that just got better and better as he got older and even as he left Forford to go to Montrose I didn't see him play much but all you read about was how good Chris Templeman was and what he was doing and again he just couldn't get the ball off him he was just a fantastic player at that level of football uh, that's probably I wouldn't say it's the best 11 players I've played with but it's 11 that probably left a mark You touched on Chris Templeman there as a player I absolutely loved and I've said it before if he had pace he'd have played in the SPL for his nah, entire definitely. the first touch he had was absolutely ridiculous I remember playing against him in a fives game and literally the other four boys wouldn't even need to be there and they'd still beat us mm. It was, it, was, it was like trying to get a, a ball off a hippo on a post box. It was absolutely no. Oh, you're he not a hippo, big... Lee. Don't, don't put yourself <laughs> down like that. He would do that mad Cruyff turn he has that would send the whole crowd for a pie and a ball roll and then stick it in the top corner. But uh, oh, he was a fabulous player, Chris. Different class. Somebody I've tried to get on the show a few times as well because he's actually the lollipop man in Thornton. And he's a janitor at Thornton as well. And you know, he's a, he's a, he says he's a quiet lad. He's a quiet lad and he doesn't say boot him, but see on a night out when he's got a drink on him, he yeah. is an absolute pest. <laughs> the biggest pest in Britain when he's got a drink on him. Honestly. 
Yeah, um, I've been on a few nights out um, and, and bumped into Chris. Um, and he also used to drink in my, my local as well. Uh, he's, he's definitely he's a hugger when he's got a drink in her. Oh, says, 100%. Loves a hugger. Like. The other night in Edinburgh, I can't even mind who it was, and he woke up on my living room couch and he could just tell, he's, he's like, where am I? And he's like, how am I in your house? <laughs> were they close mates or anything like that? But I took him home because he was gaga one night. He crashed out of my couch and you could just see him think to yourself, what am I doing here? So what, you, what you need to do, Lee, is once all the COVID restrictions are lifted, you take him out for a night out, get him drunk, <laughs> get him back home, set up the Zoom, I'll suddenly appear and we'll do, we'll do the show. <laughs> You'll get him then. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. I, I mean, I've I, I probably told this story on the show before, but if I haven't, I bumped into him one night in Sticks Nightclub in Glenoffice, right? That's that's where we both ended up. And he's like, Lee... Telling you, I'm going to score 20 goals next season. I was like, you're arse, you're never scoring 20 goals next season. I was like, you'll only get 20 caps. He's like, no, I'm telling you, 20 goals next season or I'll buy you a bottle of vodka. And I was like, all right, no worries. And honestly, he, he barely played for us that season. Every time I seen him, I'm like, where's my bottle of vodka? And he's like, ah, it's behind the bar for you, daughters, mate. It's behind the bar for you. <laughs> never seen that. No, no, he's the tightest man ever. Apart from McManus, he's the second tightest man. <laughs> Finally, mate, it's just you're, you're 11 against. 11 against, oh, this was horrendous. Mm. Oh, I forgot about so many players and I threw in some randoms for some reason that uh, there's names that you'll be, oh, I don't know. Anyway, goalkeepers Andy Gorham and I played against him once in the Challenge Cup final. He was at Queen of the South and we, we lost with Brecon. Right back is Paquito who played with Wraith Rovers. He was outstanding. What a player he was. He, he could have played anywhere, I think. He was top, top fullback, attacking-wise. Centre-backs will be David Weir. I think I played against him when he was at Hearts. And I've stuck in John Hughes at Hibs. And the only reason I've stuck in John Hughes because he gave me my well, introduction to men's football. Him and Sean Dennis were playing centre-half at the time and you'd all barging into you at a corner and knock you to the ground. So I'm Martin, big veggie, and I, I go run to the front post and John Hughes just turns and flattens me. And he's like, ah, oh, the old Lisa, ho, ho. You're playing with a big boy's new son. <laughs> so, so, I've managed to squeeze uh, I've managed to squeeze John Hughes in there. Left back, I'm name dropping here because I'm going to put Lee Sharp in there. My only the closest I got to the Rangers first team was a preseason friendly against Man United when I, Eric Cantona got sent off. I got him for five, ten minutes, I think, and I played nice. against Lee Sharp. So I'm throwing Lee Sharp in there. My midfield's world class. Uh, I've got uh, I've got Russell Latape. Wide in the right, he's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Every club he was at, that I played against him a few times. That he scary what he could do at times. And in beside him, I've got Frank Sozi for Hibs. Again, they played centre midfield together the year Hibs won the first division. They're on a different level to everybody else. Uh, beside him, I've got Clarence Seedorf. And believe what? it or not, I've got <laughs> I've got Clarence Seedorf in the middle of the park with Frank Sozi. I first played against Clarence Seedorf. With Scotland under 16s, and then about two years later, we played a youth tournament in Groningen with Rangers against Ajax, and they'd already broken into the Ajax first team. But then I think he played maybe about 20 or 30 games, but he was playing in this youth tournament. And he was 30, a 30 year old man in a 17 year old's body. I've never seen a player like this in my entire life. The size of him, the strength of him, the pace it was just frightening to play against somebody. Who was like, I thought Charlie Miller was a talented boy and the most talented natural. Seedorf was on a different planet to that. He was just frightening. 
You could have gave me a hundred guesses, right? <laughs> and never guessed them in my life. No, you want me to na- you wanted me to name drop one or two, so I've put in a couple, so I've threw him in. I've got another one for you up front as well. And on the left of midfield, I've put in Colin Samuel. Now, ah. I've already played with Usefuls, but I didn't know that. But when Colin Samuel was at Falkirk, he was unbelievable. Mm. He was the fastest thing I'd ever seen. Uh, yeah. You had to run backwards when Colin Samuel was attacking you because he would just make an arch of you. He was, and I, I've heard you speak about him where I think he's maybe came his five towards the end of his career. Yeah. And like he couldn't be bothered or he was at the end of his career and he wasn't interested. But the spell he had at Falkirk, he was, he was scary. Up front, I stuck in Chris Boyd, who played for Rangers that night against us, uh, uh, Don and I've stuck up front because Boyd was a guy who played with Seedorf in that touch and Ajax team was Patrick Cliver. Now, Patrick Cliver, we uh, we had went to a youth tournament in Groningen with Rangers and we had been out in the piss every night and we played 4-5-1. The games were 20 minutes each way or something. We played 4-5-1 every game and we rotated the guy up front every 20 minutes to give him a break. And we drew 0-0-0-0-0-0. So we were playing Ajax the next day and if we beat Ajax, they qualified for the semi-finals. So we stayed in that night, we didn't go out. We got gubbed 3 nothing, and Cliver got a hat-trick. <laughs> and it's the first time I've ever seen a guy header the ball downwards into the top corner. He was that far above the crossbar when he headed the ball. He was frightening. I played against him a couple of times. But again, when you talk about him and Seedorf, they're a different level. I like how you could go from Charlie King, right? <laughs> that's no disrespect to Jamie King. <laughs> but aye, that's, that's a brilliant team. Love that. Apart from that, Michael, you got anything else to ask? No, just one one last thing that just came to me there when we were just talking about like breaking and stuff. When you see the, the plight of breaking the last couple of seasons, like they were always kind of punching above their weight when they were in the second tier, but they were always such a good team in the lower leagues. What do you think's happened to them? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's sad. It's sad to see the demise. I don't know too much. But Kenny Ferguson's still there, who was on the, the board years ago when we were winning the leagues. Kenny's the chairman now. There was a couple of local businessmen who used to back them quite well. Mm. Um, I think Mackie Motors and another local business used to back them quite heavily. Uh, I don't know if they've withdrawn their back in for various reasons and it's affected their uh, spending power. But again, they're a team that would have to spend... Listen, I never got big money up at Brecon, but they're a team that would have to spend big money to attract players to Glasgow and Ember to go up there. And they've had some fabulous True. teams over the years. And it's just it's sad to see because I've had great times at being As I said, that was the one team I spent more than two years with. Fabulous club. Very similar to East Fife. Same values, same morals, same supporters, guys in the background that's been there for years. Very, very similar clubs. And it just shows you how quickly things can go pear-shaped. Yeah. So it'd be nice to see them get back to some sort of normality and back up the league a wee bit. I just one one last thing because I just remembered one of our readers asked us to to ask you about this game. East Fife Wraith Rovers, Willie McCulloch, two penalty saves. You then go and score a goal. What was that game like to play in? That was that was the one when we were on huge win bonuses for Willie, but the Wraith team got windy at somehow, and we don't know how. Oh. And I think that fired them up even more. Because before the game, one of the, I was walking in after the warm-up and somebody says, is it true you're doing such and such a win? And I was like, who told you that? All oh, your boys are talking about in the dressing room. I was like, oh, fuck's sake. So they must, they got wind of that somehow. And I went, I scored with a tackle. I think the boys in the, the top, there's a video out on 
McManus is chasing it and you know, Craig Wilson goes to clear it and I run in to block it and it flies in the bottom corner. And I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to get a win here. But we didn't have on to the lead too long. Laurelis scored a header and then we missed a sitter in the last minute. I'm sure Greg McDonald hit the bar. It felt to Stevie Crawford about a yard out. They blazed it over the top of the bar for about a yard out. But we had a massive crowd at that day. Huge crowd and atmosphere was really, really, really good that day. That was a, a, a good game. And it was one of, I mean, until recent years, I had never seen a Vito was. I think that was one of the closest that we'd been because normally they just scudded us. But um, no, that was a, definitely a good game. The, the only question I want to ask is, well, it's not so much a question, but I just would take you back to the East Thurman game. And every single man uh, that played for us, it was up on the, the stanchion celebrating us winning the league, had their top off, except for you. And I don't know if you remember, everybody was beckoning you to take your top off. Now, somebody told us that it was because you had a tattoo. Oh, yes. I read, I read about that. I've not got a tattoo in my body. I'm terrified. I'm not oh. a tattoo in my body. I'm shit scared of needles and stuff. I've no, not got one tattoo. But oh, I read that. I must have read that on your forum or somewhere like that. Yeah, someone said I, you had a Rovers tattoo. Oh, see, when some of the stuff comfy is absolutely I was probably just trying to hide my belly, so I wasn't want anybody to see my belly. <laughs> but, you know, again, you know the police came in and chucked us out the stand because yeah. at that time we were drinking champagne and you weren't allowed to drink in a public place. Aye, that was in the papers. <laughs> so that was another slap in the wrist we got that year. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, personally, thank you so much for, for coming on. Absolute um, pleasure. pleasure. It has, it has been an absolute pleasure. Some of the stories and just talking about your career in general has been excellent. So, and yeah, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Yeah, and pleasure. good luck with and Donald whenever they get back. Cheers, Michael. Let's keep you well. Sarah. Take care. So that was our interview there with Kevin Fotheringham. Really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to go out, and, and this is no slight on, on Fozzie at all, absolutely none. He was a lot more articulately spoken than I expected from someone from Cowden Beef, and he had a lot more teeth. <laughs> yes. It's a good job it wasn't a video thing that we're putting up, because there wasn't a lot of hair going round in, no. in that interview, was there? <laughs> Eggheads. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. I, we've had some really great chats and it's one thing that I guess the pandemic's helped. We've got a, a chance to sit down and really go through the these career chats w- with guys. I'm getting to do it over here with some folk as well. And I know they're lengthier chats than you'd normally hear on a, on a lot of shows and stuff, but I thought that, w- that was fascinating. Yeah. And I just some of the things he said, I, I think... I think he might have been a difficult player to manage in his early days. I think he was very yeah. headstrong and it's going to be interesting now with him as a manager because he's probably going to come across players that were like him when he, yeah. when he was younger. I, th- I think that I love with the passion that he spoke about the game and I don't know if I'll make the show or not, but he spoke a bit about Scottish football and, and his and I's ideas that seem very, Oh, very that'll aligned. make the show because that was excellent, yeah. Very, very aligned in terms of the way that we see the game and you know, I, th- I think that, yeah, it was a great chat. I spoke so openly about everything that we asked him and with a smile on his face. You know, when you, when you watch Fuzz in the pitch, he just looks like a moaning <laughs> word that I'm not going to say. But I wasn't sure how the interview would go. He's a player that I loved at us. I, I mean, absolutely loved. Um, you know, everything that you wanted, grit. You yeah. know, never, folk never got past him, but he could pick up the ball, he could pick a pass. 
you know, he definitely was an excellent player for us. I wasn't sure how he would come across in the interview, but I absolutely loved it. Um, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to going to be talking about this one for a while. So some great stories and like th- this Irish ferry incident is great because we're starting to piece different bits together now. Because yeah. now that we know that they tried to wipe the the Indian food off the women, that just makes it even more funny. I think that we need to start a campaign to track this family down. We need to track them down and find out their version of the events of that. And if they ever got the money back for their ruined cashmere jumper. <laughs> I, I just know how my wife would react if that happened to her. And it would not be good. Yeah. See, like I, th- I think if that happened to Rachel, she's just that nice that she would start apologising to them. Oh my, so- I'm so sorry that your food hit me. Let me buy you a curry. That's... <laughs> <laughs> It would just be the total opposite in our family. But... Well, next time I'm over, I'll try that and we'll see how she reacts. Yeah, she hates you anyway. So that's she okay. Yeah. yeah, I'll probably that's... get a punch in the face. <laughs> not true, not true. To be fair, she's, um, she enjoys listening to you more in the podcast than she does to me, but it's probably because she's got to listen to me moaning about football all the time. But aside the moaning, I'm going to bring to you this month's Artist of the Month. Um, who we've gone with Cameron Barnes uh, I'm hoping to bring to you an interview with Cameron Barnes soon it was meant to be last week but obviously with everything that happened we, we had to curtail that so we'll hopefully bring a chat to you within, um, for next week's show but I'm just going to go with something plain and simple one of Cam- uh, Cameron's back catalogues this song's called Just Smile and we think that after you've listened to it you will too so here he is Cameron Barnes with Just Smile <laughs> Myself dreaming, dreaming of a life in your arms, reaching out for one another. We would be in love, I would want.
So, Michael, part four of the show, we're at the tail end. We've, we've had a, a two-hour chat with Fozzie Bear. We've had some music. We've had our usual banter in between. And this time, we're going to talk about you and your full sack once more. So, we've, we've had a, a pretty busy meal bag in, in recent times, actually, and it's something that I, I absolutely love to see. So, we're going to go, first of all, into the TARDIS. So we're going to go this week um, for two of the TARDIS matches to two of our panellists. So we're going to go to Gordon and we're going to go to Doug. So Gordon's picked three games and I was quite surprised to see Gordon's choices, but we'll go for them anyway. So the first one, obviously, the Scottish Cup replay versus Kilpatrick, uh, 1938. Can't be a East Fife supporter and not pick this one. Couldn't agree with you anymore, Gordon. The second one was the 1930 World Cup final, Uruguay versus Argentina. I was in the Centenario Stadium in January last year and just walking around the empty stadium, you get the chills knowing the, the, knowing the history of the place. Also, my girlfriend is Uruguay and would probably kill me if I didn't pick it. Oh, nice. I've, I've got a... It's a self-published book that I got years ago, maybe 20 years ago now, um, about a guy that's grandfather or great-grandfather was involved with the World Cup and he went back to Uruguay and was tracking down all this stuff. It's fascinating. Superb. And finally for um, Gogsy in 1967, England 2, Scotland 3. It would just be brilliant to soak up the atmosphere of uh, going, to the, going to London and beating them after they won the World Cup and watching Jim Baxter do the keepy-uppies. That, that would be a fantastic one. That was a great choice, actually. Um, and then we're going to go to the man himself, Doug Perry. Now, Doug's picked um, three games, and I'm going to apologise in advance for our now listeners. You may want to pour yourself a cup of coffee um, because they're, they're pretty lengthy replies, but, you know, God, uh, or Dougie likes to talk. Yep, that's it, Michael. You get comfy. Get yourself a chocolate digestive. <laughs> so, I've got water, so that would make do. That'll do. So, um, Doug Perry, hello all. I could probably go. Uh, I could probably name fifty games. I wish I could go back and see, depending on what mood I'm in. But seeing as we're in lockdown and life is a bit of a struggle at the moment, I thought I would go for three poignant games. And great word, poignant. Actually, maybe one that we should start using on the show. One, my favourite away game that I mentioned before, Gretna Two East Five Three, thirtieth of November two thousand and two. The whole day summed up everything I am missing during the COVID situation. I miss away days. I miss the train at silly times in the morning, opening at eight a.m beer and marvelling at how good it tastes at that time of day. I miss taking, uh, spending time with the very best of friends, talking absolute crap and looking forward to the adventure as we realise that we've drank six tins of beer in an hour. 
the social club before the game, the down and out feeling at 2-0 and then the absolute ecstasy of a late minute winner. Uh, uh, sorry, a late winner before heading off to the off-licence and back on the train. That absolutely epitomises everything I love about East Fife and I can't wait to do it again. Bang on. Absolutely. Second, second one, uh, France nil, Scotland won, 12th of September 2007. Everyone says it's a game they'll never forget, but it's a game that I have completely forgotten. I woke up, uh, I woke up in my apartment in Paris the next day and completely forgotten. I remember having the most amazing day drinking under the Eiffel Tower with thousands of Scotland fans and my new fiance. I vaguely remember the incredible scenes of the march to the ground, and I absolutely don't remember a single second of the uh, one of Scotland's greatest ever wins. So, so he, did that? Did he wake up not knowing that they'd won? We would have to ask him. We'll need to ask him the next times on the show. So I'd have to go back to that game and remember to have the occasional glass of water between beers and wine and soak up the incredible experience I'm sure it was. Brilliant. The second one was East 5-4, uh, Stranraer nil on the 21st of uh, March 2009. And I do really like the, the reason for this one. So this turned out to be the last game I ever attended with my dad before he passed away suddenly a few days later. I wish I could go back and soak it all in. He's the reason I've got this deep-rooted love for the club and it's an abs- it was the absolute core of our relationship. I remember several uh, several months later, after watching a great win with at Bayview, I rang mum and dad's house number and it was only when my mum answered I realised that I was phoning my dad to tell me about the game and of course he wasn't there. Going to friends and family, uh, going to the games with friends and family is everything we should really cherish. The great times we all, as fans, get to spend together. And victory or defeat is what it's all about. One the five, Doug, and that was excellent. And you, you want to what, Doug? You're, you're absolutely right. Um, particularly in the, the environment they live in just now, you never know when the last time is that you're going to see someone. And football is such an amazing way to make memories with people. And I know that um, with my dad, I've, I've I've got so many of them that are, are circulated around, not just these five, but football in general. So thanks so much for that, Doug. Like genuinely, I know we make lots of jokes and stuff on the show, but like genuinely, I'm like welling up at, at that. That that was actually really beautiful. It's like that's poignant, as I said, but it's like that's just such a lovely, lovely sentiment from Doug. I've got one I wanted to share with us as well. Uh, Raymond Weir, who we interviewed on the last show, the lead singer of the Eisenhowers that did the Three O'clock on a Saturday song. He gave us his uh, suggestions for going back in time. He said, The TARDIS question is right up his street. I could probably think of dozens of old matches I'd like to nip back in time to attend. And if he did it tomorrow, he'd probably pick a different three than he picked when he sent this. So again, your time to sit back now, because these are a little bit lengthy as well. So the first one, and this is good because this is coming from a non-East Fife supporter, so we're getting like just general matches. So his first one is Fife-related, though. He says, I discovered this on YouTube. December 1962, Dunfermline played a Fairs Cup tie against Valencia. Having lost the first leg 4-0 in Spain, they hosted the return at a frosty East End Park the week before Christmas. The Spaniards, I'd imagine, might have been somewhat bemused by the referee's insistence that the frozen pitch was playable. 20 minutes into the game, and already three goals down, they most certainly would have been bewildered by the scale of the thrashing being administered by the eager and skillful young Scottish forwards. If you watch the clip on YouTube, you can see the body language that the Valencia players didn't really want to be there. By half-time, they were 5-1 down, and the tie was squared on aggregate. I don't know what the Spanish is for what the actual fuck, but I'm guessing that someone might have used words to that effect in the dressing room at half-time. The TV commentator Bob Crampsey later said that during the last 10 minutes of the first half, he could not hear himself speak 
Such was the noise from the crowd. Dunfermline eventually won the match 6-2, but these being the days before away goals rules and penalty shootouts, they went on to lose in a playoff. Oh. I, I knew Dunfermline had been in Europe, and obviously we never got the chance to, to be in European competition because it, it didn't exist until just after our, our trophy hall, but that would have been an amazing game. Yeah, what a great game to pick as well, even. Brilliant. 4-0 down and then coming back to lead 5-1 at half time against a Spanish yeah. team. Uh, second one, a couple of years ago, I watched the official film of the 1954 World Cup. I did that as well. It was quite charming and painted a lovely picture of an international, although not yet global, tournament before it turned into the rather bloated commercial monster that we have now. 48 teams, give me a break. I don't know how thick my Panini sticker album is going to be in, in 2026. I'm a bit worried yeah, about that. I need to take a mortgage out to be able to get it. Judging by the highlights, the final was a remarkable game. The stadium in Bern was absolutely rammed, the pitch was soggy, and there must have been a sense amongst the crowd that they were witnessing something really special. Hungary, arguably the team that invented the modern game, took on a workmanlike West Germany, a side they'd already thrashed 8-3 in the group stages. The Germans were 2-0 down inside 8 minutes, but somehow clawed their way back into the contest. It was played like an old-fashioned cup tie, going from end to end. In their passing, movement and technical ability, the Hungarians looked like a top-division team, while the West Germans looked like plucky part-timers from the third or fourth tier. But strange things happen, the German goalie was inspired, and many Hungarian attempts and goal failed for reasons which appeared to defy logic. Instead of winning 9-3 or something, the Hungarians conceded a late goal to lose 3-2 in one of the greatest upsets of all time. They also got a goal disallowed in the last minute. That really would have been something to see. And rather strangely, he's the second person in a week to pick that game. Because I asked the Whitecaps sporting director, Axel Schuster, who's German, for his three yeah. games. And one of his was that, because it's the first time Germany won the World Cup. All right. And yep. the, la- the last one, which is a lot shorter, don't worry. September 1973, Scotland-Czechoslovakia, World Cup qualifier, needing a win to qualify for the World Cup for the first time in 16 years. Our boys recovered from losing a very soft goal, described by TV commentator Arthur Montford as a disaster for Scotland, to beat the team that would, just a couple of years later, become European champions. There were 100,000 people at Hamden that night, and we, as we hear from the highlights, the noise when Holton and Jordan get our two goals is absolutely deafening. It's like an aircraft taking off. What a game that would be to attend. Brilliant. Absolutely loving these football this stuff, guys. It's, it's great. I don't know how I even thought of this, but it's it's our section that's really taken off. So, <laughs> yeah, Taken off like the Tardis? Yeah. yeah. There we go. So, yeah, of course, keep them coming in. Um, I think that we've still got a few more to go. Um, in terms of our mailbag, but I think that the the three that we picked this week, um, I, I I want to stop there. Um, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't want to overdo it. We want to keep them for a for a few shows. And I I know we've got Nonny's five fans that listen to this, like like Raymond. There, I'd love to hear yours because obviously they wouldn't be East Five related. So I'd love to see what games have kind of captured your imaginations. Most definitely. And look, we're going to go and talk about one of my favourite subjects at the moment is kits. Yes. So we managed to get the uh, the Notter kits finally ready and ready to go, and I think they look excellent. Um, my only the- complaint is the white pinstripe one 
originally was long sleeved and they've made it short sleeved. Yeah. That again, I, I kind of feel that way too. Um, but I think that the, the kits look great and I'm really looking forward to seeing the quality. I know that a few of you have gone on to order them, so I'm um, looking forward to, to seeing how good they look when they come in. And another thing that you've probably seen um, me talking a bit about is my mystery kit order, which um, I put in this week. And, you know, I, I would encourage everybody to do it because the excitement I had for it coming was second to none. I don't know if that's a sign of the times in terms of how boring life is, um, that you're getting excited over a kit coming. But, yeah, I've, I've, I've become a new fan. Um, so... Just I'm for sure. podcast listeners, yeah. Lee is just getting his kit just now. I do this on my show. I have visual things I hold up to the camera for people listening at home. I'm letting Michael get a proper good look at the kit. It's so beautiful. I love the colours. I love the badge. So it's a luminous green with a red stripe and then a darker green stripe. The, the team is called Unicusano Ternana. Um, and I did a little bit of research on them after discovering obviously this new team so they're playing the series c group c and they're currently the league leaders and then when i did a bit about the team itself i was actually surprised at the the history that they've got in terms of some of the managers and some of the the players that have played for them so the 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 team themselves, they play in a city called Terni in Italy. Their ground's got a 22,000 capacity. Their current manager is Cristiano Lucarelli, who, if you like your um, in Italian football, you'll know he had a pretty good career. He played for Shakhtar Donetsk, he played for Parma, he played for Napoli. You know, he's played for some some pretty big teams. He actually has six caps for Italy um, themselves, scored three goals in his six caps. He's went on and he's managed Perugia, he's managed Catania, Livorno. Um, so you've had him. And then I thought, I wonder who else has managed them. So I'm going to read out some of the names to, to Michael because I was actually quite taken aback. Cesar Maldini, 1976 wow. to 1977, which I was quite surprised at. Then in 2016, they had Christian Panucci, another former... Um, Italy International a name that's going to be more synonymous to, to Scottish football fans and Benito Carboni um, he managed them between 2016 and 2017 so yeah they've, they've definitely had a, a checkered history when I looked at their honours there was only one they won the Serie B in 1971 and 1972 but I just wanted to, to bring that to light I think it's an excellent idea to just give yourself a bit of a, a more vested interest in teams out with the UK. Um, with Mystery Kits yourself, you actually get a comments box and you can say, look, I don't want a British team or I don't want X, Y, or Z. My comments were, I don't want a British team. Give me the most random, obscure kit you can find and I think I definitely want that. Yeah, I, it's made me, I've thought about doing it and this has now made me decide I definitely want to, to, to go and do it. And yeah, I was excited when I saw it. I'm, I'm going to probably say no league UK. I wouldn't mind some non-league random teams because I've got a few weird and wacky non-league English teams kits I'd probably know North Americans because I don't really want to get yeah. one from over here but I yeah I'd love something from like the southern hemisphere some team from Papua New Guinea or something weird like that well funny enough um, maybe not the southern hemisphere but I literally got a, a text from one of my friends today who said that he's got the a Tanzania international kit 
and his girlfriend did some um, some work out there and bought him the Tanzania kit. So he said, if you're still if you're still going to be collecting kits, he's like, I'll give you that one along. So now I've not even told you this yet, Michael, but I don't know if he's maybe seen some brief activity on my Twitter, Twitter this week. My father-in-law's been cleaning out his attic. And he came across all of his old hip shirts. He's a big hips fan. Yeah. From the 70s. And he had um, a match-worn shirt by Jimmy O'Rourke, as well as some other hip shirts. And he was like to me, look, Lee, he's like, see if you could sell them. Just sell them. And I was like, oh, like, really? Is that, like, you don't want to keep them? He's like, no, just sell them. So there's a company in Edinburgh called Capital Football Shirts. And I've been speaking to the guy who who runs the company, he bought the, the shirts um, from us for Rachel's dad. And he's interested, by the way, in any um, old shirts, particularly from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, it's called Jordan Hopkinson. He actually plays for Civil Service Strollers. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah, really, really nice guy. So have a look at his Instagram. His Instagram is Capital Football Shirts 9. Um, and there's loads of kits on there, absolutely loads of them. And there's old Scotland kits, there's um, old Hibs kits, old Rangers kits, England kits. He's got some match-worn ones. He's got some um, a, a wide a, like display of kits. He's got kits from Borussia Dortmund. So definitely worth looking at. And particularly, if you've got any old kits that you're looking to sell, definitely get in touch with Jordan because I'm sure he'll be happy to take them off your hands. Although, of course, if they're really old East Fife kits... Like, pre-1985, if you've any of those, I don't know how many of those are, are kicking around. Get in touch with us first. Yes, um, I don't think John will be interested in any of these five kits, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, um, definitely, if you've got anything uh, setting up your love gathering store, it's definitely worth checking. Yeah, I've, I've loved uh, the last few weeks just talking about kits and stuff, and yeah, we're, we're both big, big fans. If anyone's got really obscure kits that are just kicking around and you want to get rid of, get in touch with us. But not got too much more for, for this week's show. We're going to finish it, though, with this week's wavelength. And for the, the next couple of weeks, just to, to round off February, I'm going to bring you songs by bands that you wouldn't expect to maybe have football songs. Already brought you Slade a couple of weeks ago. This is a, a solo artist that I'm going to bring you a song from, from this time from a band that we used to feature regularly on the show, The Who. We haven't done a Who Are You for a while. We kind of need to get back into to doing that, probably, Lee. But Pete Townsend, in 1987, released an album. Actually, it's the second of such albums that, that he released. The 1987 one was called Another Scoop. The first one a couple of years earlier was called Scoop. And it was all like rarities and outtakes and unreleased recordings. So on the 1987 release that he did, there was a song called Football Fugu, where basically he's reimagining people going to the opera or orchestras, string quartets, like classical music, if the people that went to those things behaved like football supporters. So if they're going to see an orchestra and somebody gets out the cello and they're all up going, cello, cello, cello. <laughs> And, and stuff like that. So it's an interesting song. It's called Football Fugu, Pete Townsend. Let's see what it sounds like. I was listening to a guitar, bass, drum thing. Started hearing chair squeak. Thought I heard a gut string. And 
I saw a big band right on the pavement Violins and heavy boots Wondering where the wave went You, whoa, I'm talking to you We're wearing the wrong color scarf So what? Well, you're playing your tune To the terrace of the enemy half Hey you, whoa, I'm talking to you Concentrate on the game Conductors prone to complain Played a song on the wall Commas, pass me the ball Don't let the violinists trouble your play Fierce-looking people put their managers gay Syncopation to the sound of the ball Trouble with a ref out in the concert hall Hey, you! That chalice was fouled That conductor must be played It's a goal! Sessions run to extra time Sit back or piss off I'm seeing your level walk Townsend there, football for you, something a little bit different. I'm pretty sure that you didn't expect him to have a, a song like that. I think we should just bring, though, football stuff into everyday life. Yeah, I think we've touched on that in a previous show about like football things creeping into to everyday yeah. life. I'll talk to you a bit about one of the things that I've seen, um, which definitely can't make the show, that, that it was definitely a, a football-related one. But that's uh, that's a story for another day for our listeners. Look, we've, we've had you on for a, a pretty long time um, this weekend. Hopefully it means that you've, you've managed to miss us last week and you're, you're going to have a, a longer feature-length show for this week. Um, thanks again to 
uh, Liam Anderson for, for helping us get in touch with Kevin Fotheringham. We're hoping to bring you in the coming weeks. I'll tell you some of the people that we're hoping to speak to. We've got Ross Graham um, potentially lined up. We've got Gilbert Allen, um, who we're hoping to speak to next week. And a father-son duo. I'm not going to tell you who that is. We'll let you see if you can guess. We've only had a few. So could it be Gordon and Scott Judy? Could it be Gordon and Kevin Smith? Could it be Paul and Pete McQuaid? Who knows? Find out in the coming Could weeks. it be Chris and Lee Gillis? That'd be a big disappointment for the listeners, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't like to listen to my dad at the best of times. Nah, I'm like it. I love you, dad. Um, but yeah, until then, Michael, where can our listeners find you online? Follow all this stuff on AFTN Canada on Twitter, AFTN website on Twitter as well, and both of AFTN sites, East Five Stuff, AFTN.co.uk, and over here in Canada, you can get Whitecaps, MLS, Canadian, North American coverage, AFTN.ca. You can find me probably Twitter, um, as always the best, please, at LeeG1903. Um, before we do go, though, there's one thing that I do want to squeeze in um, as a delayed part of our mailbag um, from someone that did find me online this week. Um, and it's a listener called Teddy Leach um, and received a lovely um, message from him. Yep. So I'm just going to read it out. So it says, hi, Lee, just to say your podcast, Glory Days of Gold with Michael is excellent. Best thing I've heard in years. I just found out about it last week, so I'm miles behind. I've just listened to the Johnny Smart interview. That was truly epic. Very, very funny. Listening to the podcast has made me fall in love with these Fife again. I've not been to watch the Fife in years, but now can't wait to get uh, till the fans can get back in and I'll be one of them. Cheers. And that's what our show is all about. And that's how I want to end this week. That's a fantastic way to end. And yeah, spread the word. If there's East Fife fans that you know, that are far-flung, maybe a little bit kind of disenfranchised with the club just now, tell them about the show. We'll rekindle their love, and when the attendances are back, hopefully they'll be back too. Can we finish the song with Relight my fire Your love is my only desire I wonder if we can make an East Fife version of that. Oh, bound to. Absolutely. Relight my fife. Relight my fifer. Relight my fifer. Ah, there we go. We're on for another song off, Michael. We're on for another one. But yeah, until then, until next week, we've been speaking for so long. Take care, stay safe, wear a mask, and more importantly, one to five. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>